Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website. There was a time not long ago where it was impossible to do what you can do with Squarespace. You had to learn HTML or you had to learn a program that processes HTML. It was a huge pain in the ass. You had to hire some fucking flaky dude who probably would never get your website done on time. And even when he did, you weren't probably happy with it and you could get a really professional website you could do it yourself on squarespace and you could do it really easily brian has done i don't know dozens of them during the time that we've done commercials like literally in the <clears throat> in the time we're doing a squarespace commercial by the time the commercial's over he's had a website drag and drop interface super simple to use it's if you can attach a photograph to your email you can use squarespace and truly is that easy they offer 24 7 support very easy to set up an online business as well you can have an online account where you can sell digital downloads like music or comedy or something along those lines you can sell products it's very very easy to do uh, plans start at $8 a month, which, which includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Responsive design that will look awesome in any device. iPhones, Android devices, Unix, if you're one of those fucking weirdos. If you're one of those uh, Linux guys, it'll work. Squarespace has a logo creator where you can create a clean, simple logo design for yourself in minutes. And for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and enter the code word Joe. That's squarespace.com and enter the code word Joe. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. That's the part that they wrote. That shit's whack. You guys need to rewrite that. Uh, we're also brought to you by onit.com. Mm. That's for people who hate slurping. That's all for you. <laughs> On it is a human optimization website, and uh, what we sell is everything that I and my friend Aubrey have found to be beneficial as far as performance, as far as cognitive performance, as far as strength and conditioning equipment. We sell the finest products we can find, whether it's kettlebells, battle ropes, uh, steel maces, steel clubs. If you didn't know any better and you went there, you'd think that we're starting some sort of a weapons arsenal. But all these things are actually just tools to develop functional physical strength. Um, if you are into uh, any sort of um, athletic endeavor, martial arts, um, any, any sort of sport, the, the key to any weightlifting or any strength and conditioning training is getting your body to move as one unit, not isolating specific muscle groups, but getting the whole body to use uh, all the muscle groups together in conjunction, in coordination. And that's the kind of equipment that we sell at onnit.com. It's O-N-N-I-T, including supplements, uh, the, the finest stuff that we find. All of it backed with research, references, science. It's uh, all available at onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word ROGAN, and you can save 10% off any and all supplements. All right, Dan Savage is here. Why fuck around? Cue the music. Young Jamie. Do you want to put these in? The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. There are very few men out there in the world that are allowed to be sex experts 
You, sir, have pulled it off. I don't know how a man pulls that off, but congratulations to you. Thank you. It was an accident. <laughs> well, sometimes that's the best way to sometimes get anything done. The only way. People write me all the time at my stupid sex advice column saying they want to be advice columnists when they grow up. How do you get the gig? And, and can I give them any help or advice? Like, well, fuck you. I'm not going to help you compete with me. There's only a certain number of papers you can be syndicated in. There's fewer papers than ever because of uh, the internet and everything killing in print. So no, I'm not going to help you start an advice column. But don't you think that if someone out there had an interesting viewpoint that perhaps you could maybe benefit from it? Oh, absolutely. I, I read widely. i just not in the business of helping people start businesses <laughs> that compete with my business. Isn't that famine thinking? Isn't that like a little bit? Well, the, everyone in print is, of course, engaged in a lot of famine thinking yeah. because it is famine in print right now. Yeah, that's, um, that's a hard market. I mean, unless you're in a place where you absolutely know there's no Wi-Fi, like you're in a place, a, a plane going over the Pacific and you don't have an iPad with you, mm-hmm. then you're stuck with print. You are. That might be the only time where you have to use print now. I was a little upset when they got Wi-Fi in airplanes, and I'm old <laughs> enough to remember when they didn't have Wi-Fi in airplanes, because that, was, that had become the one place where I could read a book, right. where I would actually sit and read without reading three lines and checking my Twitter and reading three lines and checking my Twitter. For me, it's writing. It's one of the few times where I could lock in, put headphones on, and get writing done where I know for sure that I wouldn't have any interruptions or distractions or couldn't surf the web and go yeah. check things out. I as a writer, I write for a living. I write my column and books and shit. I want to find the person who decided it was a really great idea to make the same thing that I write on, the same thing that can deliver me all the pornography in the world all at once. <laughs> that this this one device is where you work, but it's also where all the porn is. Yeah. It's like your father's office being under his bed with all the Playboy magazines in the 50s. You know, this is an interesting thing that I wanted to get to because porn in the gay community is very different than porn in the straight community. Because porn in the straight community... Regardless of who you know that does it, that's a nice person and that claims to love sex, there's always an element of exploitation attached to it. Whereas in the gay community, I know gay porn stars, I know guys who you know like gay porn, they don't have any problem with it. It's a completely different sort of a scenario. Well, I know, I, I've known some uh, straight people who were in porn, uh, and straight women who made porn, and st- I know straight uh, women sex workers are some friends of mine. I don't think that no, those two things necessarily have to be bundled together. I think they are bundled together in a lot of porn produced for the straight market, because what I see when I look at porn made for straight people, which I do just... Uh, to keep abreast. Research. Research. Um, I see the coupling of desire. You know, this is what I want to do. This is the person I would like to do it to with revenge, with anger and, and, and frustration because a lot of porn is made for people who can't get laid otherwise. That's a large chunk of the porn market. And so a lot of porn producers, I think, consciously or subconsciously mix together like the, the object of your desire with the punishment. And I'm not just talking about BDSM porn. I'm talking about mainstream porn and, and, and vanilla porn where there's this kind of you know desire uh, on display the, the, the object of your desire and this uh, anger that gets kind of channeled through at the same time because this person that you want to fuck won't fuck you but you can watch them get fucked and watch terrible things happen to you. that's interesting because I don't ever see that kind of porn um, um, I, I know it's out there but I don't run into it I don't think it's that common Gonzo, Revenge yeah, well, how, much, how common I mean, is when that? You, with the, I think when you talk about that exploitation, I think that exploitation can also be a part of it. When you get that mm-hmm. creepy sense that what's going on here is a little squicky mm-hmm. and not very consensual and not coming from a place of joy right. and mutual pleasure, I think that's part of it too. I think it's just a continuum. But then there's also some people that like that, that are women, like Sasha Gray. Absolutely. Likes you know what she calls being a slut. 
like that's her like she gets to like when she does gangbangs you know and she talks about them she likes it she likes people abusing her Mm -hmm. like it's this weird thing and she owns it yeah and then it's not abuse i mean consent is the magic ingredient that turns anything into something okay yeah that's a thing that a lot of you know but there are people out there who only enjoy that porn if they don't think the performer enjoys it correct if, if they heard the sasha gray saying i made this this turned me on i loved it it kind of ruins it for a whole class of the porn consumer well, those people need to die yeah i agree yeah that's not good no. <laughs> that's like watching murder films because you really want to murder people but you get it out that way there's a great essay this uh gay porn star connor habib you say that like gay people are down with porn and not so fucked uh-huh. up about it connor habib is this gay porn star who wrote this great essay uh called why do you hate porn stars so much because um, everybody watches porn, and and he's a gay man, and he has gets all this grief from other gay people about being in porn, about making porn, about what he does for a living, and the the hypocrisy uh, mm. in the culture. Like we hate porn stars, but we're watching so much fucking porn all the time. Somebody gets out of porn, which is what everybody says that you should do. You shouldn't make porn, and tries to go be a lawyer or tries to go be a school teacher, and then they're driven out of that profession because of their porn career. So we say get out of it, but then we make it impossible for people to get out of it. And that essay is great, and it'll it'll. Uh, it gives the lie to the idea that gay people are all across the board better about porn and calmer about porn than straight people are. A lot of gay people have the same hangups. Well, that's it. I mean, if you're talking about leaving porn and trying to get into any sort of profession, you are definitely automatically in some sort of a blacklist, right? Not a blacklist. You just to hope that the thing doesn't surface. Hope, <laughs> hope that Google does not perfect face recognition technology anytime soon. But if it does... You're they, doomed. You are doomed in a way. Which is really odd because anybody who hasn't done any of the things in, you know, normal porn, forget about like bondage, revenge, anger porn, but just normal people having sex. Anyone who hasn't done that is the freak. That's it, they're the weirdos. Increasingly. I yeah. mean we all now we all have we all have porn production studios in our pockets. We yeah. carry them everywhere we go. <laughs> Everybody all of our kids are sexting. I think there should be an I am Spartacus day where one day a year we all tweet out a dirty picture of ourselves. Not for not because anyone wants to see me naked, but to protect our children because our children are all sexting right now. And if we continue to live in a world where one dirty picture disqualifies you from all sorts of careers, public life, if it can get you Anthony Wienerd, mm-hmm. then all of our children are going to be fucked when they grow up because they will all have sent those pictures out already as teenagers. That's an interesting point of view. I'm actually pretty optimistic about the fact that I don't think there's going to be any secrets whatsoever within the next two decades. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to be a moot point. I think we're going to... F- hypocrisy is going to be exposed on a grand scale within the next couple of decades because of the digital trail yeah i just not just the digital trail i I think it's going to be like getting to the end of the world and finding the ocean and just going okay it's all right here fuck it's like i don't think i think there's going to be no way to hide digital information within the next 10 20 years so everything anybody does it's like when we were kids and we had questions, I'm 46, you're 49. Yeah. We're roughly the same age. When we were kids, we had questions. It took a lot of work to find the answer to that question. You had to go somewhere. You had to read something. You had to re- maybe read opposing sources. You had to talk to an expert who probably maybe didn't. He thought, oh, that guy who wrote that book's a fucking idiot. And this, oh, it was very, very difficult. Now, you get online and you can find the answers to things within five, ten seconds. Right. What we're able to do today was just an alien thought just a few decades ago when we were kids oh within the 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 lifespan of my advice column i've been writing my advice column for 23 years for the first decade half the questions um were i I called them definitions like what's a butt plug 
Butt plugs have a they have a wiki page now. You if you if you can get online to send me an email to ask me what a butt plug is, you can already have gone to the butt plugs wiki page and found out what a butt plug is and how it works. Yeah, so many questions can be avoided today. So much information is free, and I think that that trend that trend of the the access to information is going to continue, and it's going to what we call personal. You know, people personal privacy, all these different things. Those are going to be moot points. I think we're going to have some sort of a weird hive mind going on when it comes to information. And when that does happen, the ideas of privacy are going to be very strange. They're going to be very alien. Just like the ideas of distribution of information today are very alien to someone who lived in the Columbus days. Maybe we're going to have sort of an online private sphere that's public and accessible in a certain way, but uh, sequestered, that there'll be a line between those two identities where you have this public identity and this private identity or sexual identity and they're neither both are equally accessible but if you take care to shunt what's sexual into your sexual online identity and shunt what's professional into your professional online identity maybe people will respect that line doubt and, it and not punish you for it doubt it no i think that's coming <laughs> yeah yeah i do why do you think that's coming i think it's gonna be like pot uh you know there was a supreme court nominee uh, i think under reagan who a picture surfaced in the pot ginsburg was his name he was smoking pot so he couldn't get beyond the supreme court and then you had clinton who didn't inhale the pot and then you had george bush who wouldn't answer the question of how much blow he did and how much pot he smoked and then along comes obama who's like yeah i smoked pot and i inhaled that was the point and it was totally a non-issue right and he's mm-hmm. coke too i think he admitted right. in his yeah. memoir totally a non-issue we're gonna get there with sex and sexting and porn and online dirty pics we'll have our anthony weiner who's destroyed by it We'll have somebody come along and he'll say, oh, that's not my dick in that picture. We'll have somebody come along and say, yeah, that's my dick. It's a pretty awesome dick. Vote for me for president. And he'll win and it'll be over. Right. Just like pot is over as an issue that disqualifies you from public life. Over. One day that dirty picture will be a done issue and over. Well, I certainly think that the idea of a dirty picture is not going to be a stigma. The idea of... uh someone who enjoys pornography or any of those things is not going to be a stigma. But I don't think that people are going to respect any sort of privacy. I, I, you know, I don't think that people are going to respect any sort of differentiation between your online sex and your online you know, private no, life. I, I don't think people will respect privacy. It's not like people won't go look or won't dig. But I think that people are going to, people are going to cleave two different identities, sort of a, an online identity, a, a sexual identity, you know, who they are when they're looking for it, who they are when they're watching it, um, what they want to do, who they are. And that's going to be sort of separate. You know, you're going to maintain two public persona. You're going to have an online persona that's sexualized uh, where you're hunting or looking or fucking or whatever and your dirty pictures and your dirty sex. And you're an online perf- persona that's, you know, your Facebook page for your mom. That's interesting. I think there are, they're, it's too easy to combine things. They're just, I, don't, I don't see any way to separate them. People, just, but people do right now. How do they do it? Well, I know people who have, uh, you know, I have friends. I have a friend who has a Facebook page. It's for his mother and, you know, his friends and his professional context. And then he has this online FetLife profile, mm-hmm. which is, you know, FetLife is this kink site for straight people. And it's his, his super kinky, straight online life. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody who knows him knows about both. And I think his mother probably knows if she went looking, she could find that other one, but she's not going to go looking for it because she doesn't want to see it. Right, right. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. That's uh, maybe. I don't know. I think, maybe you're imagining a much blurrier future than I am, or yeah. much more tech, uh, more tech advances. Yeah, my future is super blurry. My future <laughs> is some crazy hive mind where we're reading each other's minds and living each other's lives. I think that 
you know, my friend Duncan just got back from this uh, conference on virtual reality, and he saw the newest, latest, greatest versions of Oculus Rift, and he said it is the most mind-blowing thing he's ever experienced in his life. Oculus Rift? Oculus so- Rift is the, yeah, the, the 3D reality uh-huh. headsets that you put on. You put them on, and uh, I saw the version, which is like one of the first versions, and it wasn't that long ago. It is pretty cool, but very pixelated, very obviously not reality. Mm-hmm. But this new one is almost indistinguishable from reality. You put it on and it looks like you're in a room with a guy playing the piano and he said it is fucking mind-blowing wow because it's a three degree uh, three d- dimensional video that what the way they do it is they apparently cover a person with cameras when they film this they they put cameras like all over the person's body and then film these segments so that the person sees it from a person's point of view from a person's perspective and all the possible views like if you turned your head and looked up and looked down uh, all those are available uh-huh. so so when you're inside this this virtual world with this headset on you're looking around you see everything as if a person was looking around in that room there's no breakup of it there's no there's no like glitch in the matrix whereas you're looking around you go oh you know it can't go that way because they didn't film that way or it can't do this or it can't do that oh the porn's going to be spectacular everything's going to be spectacular movies it's like the idea of sitting in a movie theater and watching some stupid thing that's being projected onto a screen is going to be as ridiculous as a puppet show that's what i think i think that we're going to be involved in some sort of strange world where we're this see, right now they have to cover people with these cameras, but I'm sure that as technology increases, they'll have a more efficient, more effective way of handling that sort of uh, recording of information. And we're going to get to some point where you're you're going to be able to live someone's life. Like someone's going to be able to be Dan Savage for a day. They'll be able to plug in. <laughs> I pity the fool. <laughs> Put it's going to be so on. exciting as you sit in front of my computer looking at emails. Well, they'll be able to read your fucking emails. You know, that's one thing. It's going to be very strange. I, I don't think there's any way to avoid it. I think the trend is clearly access to information. That's the trend. Um, and that seems to be what technology is all about. Technology is all about shortening the amount of distance that you have to go to achieve information, to, mm-hmm. to access information. And I think that that information is eventually going to become human lives, human memories, human thoughts, and, and then eventually being you. Creepy. Yeah, a little. But then again, so is the idea of sending a dick picture across the world like if you lived 5,000 years ago. No one would be able, they wouldn't even be able to comprehend the idea of well, a video. I hope we get there before the apocalypse, before the seas rise and the grid collapses. Because if we don't have a place to plug in our virtual reality, reality, then we can't See, I'm optimistic about that, too. I'm, I'm not, not buying it. I'm not optimistic really? about that. Why is that? What do you think? Because I'm Catholic. <laughs> I'm Catholic. I well, sort of Catholic, I think too. we're going to be punished for uh, our sins at some point. Uh, uh, no. It's mm. not a vengeful God. It's a vengeful glacier coming for us now. Do you think that there's some sort of an eco-apocalypse on its way? You just can't read the paper without... You know, the bats are all dying. We're putting these uh, beads for our exfoliating face scrubs. These beads are now everywhere in the oceans and the lakes and the rivers, mm-hmm. killing everything. The plastic, uh, the gyres of, uh, or gyres, however you pronounce that word, of garbage in the Pacific and the Atlantic. Um, the CO2 in the atmosphere, we've reached the tipping point with the Antarctic ice sheets and they're all going to be gone. It just, it just feels like we're building up to some sort of eco-apocalyptic orgasm, like we're edging the planet and edging ourselves and edging humanity and it's just going to blow 
I think the issue is that people love a good disaster, and so that that's one of the things that everybody likes to talk about. But if you pay attention to the world's history, but people even love a disaster, us, and disasters happen. Sure, like most some like, other fucker on Easter Island was like, "Why are you panicking about cutting down the last tree to build another stone head? We need to build the stone heads." And I'm sure there were people like, "You know what? Maybe we shouldn't cut down all the fucking trees because we're all going to die." And, we cut, and they did anyway. Like societies have committed suicide. Yeah, but that's just one little island. During that time, well, the now United the States Earth was born. Island. New York City was built. Know, internet but, was created. But now the Earth is an island. Yeah, the Earth is an island, but the Earth without us, even without us, and I'm not a climate change denier, but even even without the, the human interaction on the Earth, the Earth's f- climate has fluctuated wildly. 10,000 years ago, North America was covered in a mile-high sheet of ice. Most right. of North America was under ice right. 10,000 years ago. In that sense, global warming is way better than what nature had, a, a, had just naturally for us 10,000 years ago. Perhaps, but we have never we haven't had CO two levels like this in the atmosphere for millions of years. We are engineering a planet that we did not exist on, that was not home to our species, was not hospitable to mammals. We don't know what that's going to look like when the when the planet reverts to ten million years ago. We mm-hmm. just don't know, and we're gambling with our existence. Yeah, we're certainly gambling with our existence. I mean, I think more so with the ocean than anything. The ocean, just by pulling all the fish out of the ocean and throwing all the garbage in the ocean, it's And throwing all the CO2 in the ocean, mm-hmm. which is cutting off the bottom of the food chain in the ocean, that, 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 that's the acidification of the ocean. It's just, I, you know, I'm not a climate expert either, but I tend to believe the scientists when scientists are all sort of in agreement that the earth is not indeed flat. I'm like, all right, I will concede the point. I haven't walked to the edges myself, but I will concede the point. And all 97, 98% of climate scientists agree that we are baking the planet and we are gambling with our uh, ability to live on this planet. And we don't have another one. We don't have a spare. Well, we sh- and, and I think we should err on the side of doing away with fossil fuels. We should err on the side of re-engineering our existence and how we exist on this planet to save our lives or save the lives of our great-great-great-great-grandchildren who are the ones who are going to be fucked, as opposed to just hoping that we can keep going the way we're going and Sarah Paling being Sarah Palin about every goddamn thing we touch. And I, uh, Sarah Palin? What do you mean? Oh, you know, let's all buy a gun and let's go, let's consume fossil fuels and climate change is not, not real. I think she just epitomizes to me that no nothing uh, bullshit that's going to get us all uh, in trouble. Killed. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, well, I had a guy on the podcast named Randall Carlson, who's a fascinating guy, who's an expert in not just climate change, but climate change throughout the history of the earth. And when you talk to him... The, the fears of human-created catastrophe diminish, and mm-hmm. the, the real fears become natural catastrophes, which have existed throughout history, like, like gigantic an, super volcanoes, asteroid asteroidal impacts, not just one, but so many of them throughout history that we're just starting to n- get an account. Right, of and how so many we, have, we have enough of those to worry about, mm-hmm. enough times when nature could reset the planet, when an asteroid could hit us and wipe us out, that we don't need to gin up more of those. We're basically, we are the asteroid right now. Right. We are the asteroid that's hitting the planet that is killing, that's creating, the species die off now uh, is as big as the species die off when the asteroid hit the planet. We are the asteroid. Humanity is the asteroid. And so knowing that, you know, there could be a super volcano, knowing that uh, an asteroid could hit the planet, knowing that 
some natural catastrophe could happen, why create an unnatural catastrophe? Well, I don't think anybody's advocating creating an unnatural but catastrophe. But we are. What I'm saying is that I think that we're going to be okay. I think that the human race is going to be okay. I think that when our backs are up against the wall, innovation and technology will okay, somehow or another find ways then, then, to Then you need manage. to say, let's, let's all say that our backs are against the wall now. Let's, well, let's, let's listen to the scientists who are saying, hello, our backs are against the wall. We're talking about a 100-year or 200-year period when you talk about you know geological time when you talk about the, the life cycles of a planet is infinitesimally short it seems long to us because of our lifespans but what the scientists are telling us is this reset we cannot adapt through if it happens in 100 or 200 years which is what we're on a pace for well i don't think anyone's saying we can't adapt to it i don't think they're saying that i'm saying we're, we're if we're going the way we're going now we're going to have serious issues with a lot of the ways we live our lives i don't think they're saying we cannot adapt i think that would be kind of foolhardy because we certainly could human beings are very flexible we've existed through ice well, we ages should, we've existed right, but through, we should start adapting yeah well, I and think we've had we mass, are. don't we've you had think mass, we are by no, having this discussion well maybe having the discussion but we're not well there's dispute online, but I think that's also because anybody can give an opinion. I mean, there's a million people out there that are, you know, that have known nothing about climate, that insist that it's okay to frack, that insist that it's okay to burn coal because we need the jobs, and they mm. insist the economy is more important, that eventually we'll work this out, and that these sky is falling type people are all just, you know, just panicking, and we need to just relax and trust the Republicans. I mean, there's, there's a lot of voices out there. I or think trust, that's part of the issue. Trust God. Vice did a great piece about climate change in Texas where they went around interviewing people and nobody believes that the drought and the fires in Texas have anything to do with climate change, whereas 97% of all scientists will tell you it has everything to do with climate change. And they think it's just God fucking with them, that if God wants it to rain, it rains. And so if it's not raining, it's not man. It's not anything we did. It's not altering the climate or disrupting weather patterns. It's... It's Jesus is having a sad, and so Mm -hmm. he doesn't want Texas to have rain because some gay people got married in Boston. All a part of the adolescent stage of evolution that we're currently in, <laughs> I think. I think that, you know, just the issue with people having a voice. There's a million, billion fucking people. I mean, how many goddamn people are there on Earth? Seven billion at this point, right? 350 million in America. And how many of them have a, a, a fucking Facebook account? How many of them get on Twitter? How many of them read a few things from a message board that is some sort of a pro-life pro this, pro that, you know, pro God, Obama's born in Kenya. And then they go on and they repeat those things. You know how many fucking people I've had to have arguments with over chemtrails? People that believe that the government is spraying things into the sky in order to create artificial clouds. It's the most, I mean, friends, fucking mind-numbing conversations. And they'll point to a million different websites written by chimps with stubby (laughs) little fingers who slam on keyboards and are convinced that what they're saying is right. But it's just the, the amount of voices. There's just so many voices. But it's just, I think we're looking at a, a brief window where all these voices are being heard in a strange way where it was never possible before. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that what we're looking at is the death of civilization. What I think we're looking at is we're, we're becoming aware of the repercussions of our foolish actions. But I don't think that necessarily means we're going to all die off. I think if you look at the way life is right now, look at life right at this moment. Best time to live ever by far, as I far com- as the history of the world. I completely agree. And I getting want better. Modern dentistry, mm-hmm. modern I want medicine, vaccines, I want information, the distribution of information, access, internet, c- communication right. with each other, unprecedented, better than ever before. I also think compassion. But that doesn't think, mean that doesn't mean we're safe. That it's better no, now than ever before. It doesn't no mean I can't safe. go completely haywire wrong. But no one's ever safe. Who's saying safe? I think we're going to be okay. I don't think we're going to be okay. Ah, uh, why? 
because of the complacency in your very statement that we're going to be okay. It, There's no it, complacency whatsoever. It induces a kind of passivity. Maybe not, in, no, maybe no, not no, how no, you no. understand what you're saying, but uh, other people are... Why are we all running around with our hair on fire screaming about... Because the we're existing, death of the planet. but shouldn't we enjoy our existence? Shouldn't we enjoy can, this state? This you time, can enjoy living your in the existence, moment? and you can be concerned for the future existence. Well, you can't be. You can't enjoy it if you're saying that we're all going to die and the sky is falling when everything's great right now. We have to be able to game it out into the future and say everything is great right now. But looking at the CO two, looking at what's already happening to the permafrost in Alaska, looking at what's happened to the oceans, that we may be living on borrowed time. That we're going to run out of water, we're going to run out of uh, land that can be farmed, and we're going to have hundreds of millions of refugees as coastal areas swamp. Miami is already slipping into the water. There's already. Whoops. There's oh already, no! I, I know. What will the, we do without Miami? The only upside of climate change is goodbye, Florida. Right? We're never going to have a 2000 again. Marco Rubio will be out of the Senate once Florida is off the map. The real question is, what will Nancy Grace do for a job if Florida doesn't exist? Who will she have to complain about? And the Florida Twitter man account. Another What's dead about baby the, in Florida. And the Florida man yeah, account on Twitter. Great, I'll miss that. That's a great account. It but is. you know what? The database that Florida man has already achieved. You can just go back in history and look at 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. You'll have plenty of stuff to laugh about. You can re-engineer Florida. Yeah. Florida will become like, you know, like back when they used to burn witches. You know, you know, read back in the accounts of the Salem witch trials and you'll laugh. <laughs> That'll be Florida. You'll be able to just look back at the time when we were half retarded. You know, <laughs> Florida. What was it about Florida? Well, what, what, what were we thinking? Bunch of factors. Humidity's not good for consciousness. A bunch of different things going on down there. I think too much heat and too much humidity is very bad for like critical thinking. That's what I think. Really? Yeah. I don't think it works. I think you get hot. You want to go indoors. The fucking AC's on. You start blaming Jesus. Shit gets weird when it gets really, really hot. I have all these relatives who've moved to Phoenix, Arizona. There you go. And uh, Tucson and. It's so funny to talk to them. They're all from Chicago, and they all moved there because, uh, you know, Chicago's cold. I think Chicago's great. Uh, I'd rather live in Chicago than Seattle. But I, I go to visit them every once in a while, and I'm always like, Cause this is such a shithole. Phoenix is such a shithole. And Tucson, oh, it's awful. And I always look at them and say, why do you live here? And it, the thing that comes out of their mouths, always, I love the desert. And I'm like, you are never fucking in the desert. You are in your air-conditioned house. You go to your air-conditioned garage. You get in your air-conditioned car. You drive to an air-conditioned parking lot. And you go to your air-conditioned office. You live in this air-conditioned habit trail. You're never in the goddamn desert. Yeah, anybody who loves the desert never goes to the desert. And if you go to the desert, you better go in there in the fucking winter. Because if you go there in the summer, you can die outside in a couple of hours just wandering. I know a guy who died in the desert. Really? Yeah, Evan Tanner, former UFC fighter. Yeah, he was a former UFC champion. He was uh, a wanderlust sort of a guy who liked to... Went uh, for a walk in the desert? Mm Mm-hmm. Went for a walk. He was one of those Vision Quest type characters. Wanted to, you know, go Uh on treks to find himself and to be alone in nature and decided to go on this thing in the desert and got disoriented, couldn't find his camp, lost his water, died. I'm so sorry. It's fucked. But that's the desert. That's the real desert. That's not goddamn Phoenix parking lot. You know, that's not a fucking mall in Scottsdale. <laughs> I love the desert. Pitch, you are not in the uh, desert. I love sitting in the desert eating froyo. The desert is a harsh climate with javelinas and fucking poisonous snakes and scorpions and shit. That's the real desert. It's a fucking rough world. But Phoenix is that's cool why I like in, Chicago. in the winter. Why? But you like Chicago so much. Why do you like Chicago? Because it's not the desert. 
it's cold as fuck in the winter though man it makes you appreciate the summer and i, I agree with that it's a. Uh, I live in Seattle where winter means it's 40 degrees and pouring rain, so you're always sopping wet. Chicago, even when it's like 10 below, you're dry. Uh-huh. You dress for it, you're dry, and I think you're colder after a while in 40 degrees soaking wet for six months than you are in Chicago when it's 10 below for a couple of weeks. Man, I don't know. I think if you live in Chicago, you might you might reassess that. I grew up in Chicago. <laughs> Did I'm from you? Chicago, yeah. Okay. I don't know, man. Chicago's fucking brutal in the winter. I love it there, though. It's a great town. It is a great town. It's a town full of smart, cool people that have this weird Midwest thing going on. Like, good folks. They have, like, this... They're, like, intelligent, worldly, but they also have this sort of Midwest good folk thing going on that they don't have on the New York side. Yeah. Like, and apartments can be had for less than the cost of two kidneys. Right. As opposed to New York. Yeah. yeah. New York's pretty ridiculous. But, but Chicago's got some serious issues with crime and violence, too, especially amongst black people. Mm-hmm. The yeah. South Side. Yeah unbelievable and uh when i was there um one of the guys who drove us around was a former cop who mm-hmm. gave us some insight on all of it and he said well it's like a power struggle thing they, they arrested a bunch of gang members thinking they were going to clean up the situation and they only opened up a void that is being you know that they're, they're battling to fill that they put these guys away and when they put these guys away then other people were just trying to fight to battle to see who takes the right. top position and growing up in chicago the attitude was when i was a kid so long as the violence is contained to the south side so long as the violence is only hurting people of color it's not an issue for the city see i think it's going to be an apocalypse it's going to be an apocalypse because of our attitude about poor people it's about poor people our attitudes about poor people i think are the most shameful and 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 depressing aspects of modern society and culture that we're constantly concerned with dealing with all these different things that are going on overseas and worrying about all these the, these different things that are happening in other countries and you know, accumulating natural resources in other countries. But the number one resource that human beings have is humans, mm-hmm. human innovation and people. And I've always said that if people were really concerned with strengthening America, the number one way to strengthen America is to make it so there's less losers, right? Well, how do you do that? You help out people that are disenfranchised and you help out people that have been dealt a shitty hand in life. Be- being born in a poor neighborhood, being born with no access to information. Go to a crappy school. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence, crime. It's a, it's that, it's that puritanical streak in American culture. There is this thing that goes back to the very founding of the country that if somebody is disadvantaged, that they're divinely disadvantaged, that God doesn't favor them. They're sort of being punished by God and by fate or whatever. And the, the our, our society reflects that we treat people who are poor like shit. We, we continue to punish them. We do everything we can possibly to make it worse for them. And it's, appalling and it is so anti-christian it is so vicious i mean you look at the way uh, even people who are imprisoned are screwed when they have to make a phone call home it's some outrageous they, they get paid pennies to work in the it's some shit job in prison and then to make a phone call it's going to cost them two and a half bucks a minute to call their kid and talk for five seconds and we we sever that relationship between incarcerated parent and child to the and damage that child and perpetuate that that system do you think that it's a puritanical thing or do you think it's a human nature thing that people who already are in a good position don't want to help someone who's not in a good position i don't think you see it as uh, i mean there are certainly other societies uh other cultures uh, other countries uh with huge disparities uh in income but i don't think in western industrialized countries you see it uh quite as starkly as you see it in the united states we uh have socialism for cars 
Uh, we totally subsidize roads. We have socialism for airports, um, but we don't have socialism for children and families and people who need health care and people who need access to uh, decent food and decent housing. We, that we can't socialize. Every other goddamn thing, socialized. Yeah, I think that's because everyone needs the roads. Everyone needs the airports. But you look at the people well, that everyone, are poor, and if you are not poor and you don't care about them, you know, I am concentrating them on myself. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about me. I'm worried about getting my own thing. I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing? Is like, but you have to share a world with, you have to share a culture, a city. Um, there's only so long a society can be in denial about the fact that we're all in this together and there will be blowback. If people, the violence on the south side of Chicago, um, gang violence uh, doesn't just claim gang members as victims. It, it spills out eventually um, and it will impact you whether you like it or not. And there's only so many uh, gated communi- communities that you can hide in before the shit that you've been dealing out to others or the culture the society's been dealing out to others uh, comes for you too. Yeah, no question about that. I just wonder if the reason why we have this this need to socialize things like roads and airports, but yet we don't concern ourselves with uh, the people that are poor. It's just that we don't have to. It's just like the same sort of a thing where if you're doing well and you're doing well in life, like, hey, I'm concentrating on me. I'm going to push forward. And then we have that convenient thing that a lot of people love to do that's really kind of disgusting where they, they go, hey, you know, a lot of people were born in poor neighborhoods and they make it. You know, I was born in a poor neighborhood and I did this and I did that. I always call that argument the 90-year-old smoker. Oh yeah, my grandfather right, smoked right. and lived to be ninety. Therefore, <laughs> it's not a carcinogen. Like I know somebody who's poor who totally got out, and got up. So anybody can do it because that person can do it. There, there aren't structural well, disadvantages that consign millions of people to poverty with no hope of escape because you know one data point. Yeah, ninety-year-old smoker who got out. Yeah, that pull yourself up by your bootstraps argument is a really rough one because there's some people that are born and they're so fucked up they mentally have, by the they time don't have they get to bootstraps. be a certain age. Well, not only that, like just the psychology of of survival and dealing with a horrible neighborhood, abusive family, all the different things you have to deal with if you're in a crime-ridden environment. By the time you get to 18, 19, when you're a, an adult, quote-unquote, you're so fucked up and you, you have so much to deal with. The idea that there's the only difference between you and someone else is education and a job is preposterous mm-hmm. because it's just the development of, as a human being. Your, your actual – the structure of your mind, of your psychology is so compromised by, by all stress. the different things that you have. Stress Absolutely. warps minds and we have created a society that is built on stress well, not only stress. that the epigenetic stress warps minds in the womb mm. you know they've shown that women who are really stressed out and in bad environments they develop children that have hair triggers you know i talked to michael irvin you know michael irvin mm-hmm. the football player he uh works with a lot of disadvantaged kids um and children that have problems with violence and you know and giving them tools and uh just coping mechanisms and and what he was talking to me about, we, we shared a long flight once to uh, Sydney, just by random luck. He was on the same flight as me. And we had a long conversation about it. And he was talking about how few people realize that the actual development of their mind is different from the jump just because their mother grew up in a horrible environment, just because they were being born and prepared for this environment of incredible stress and danger. And the idea that oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What you need to do is just, you know, you got to get a, get an education. You can go online. Get an education with MIT. Like, oh, fuck, Christ, man. It's and not that easy. A few things we could do right off the bat to relieve all that kind of stress. Uh, socialized medicine for all. Not, and not Obamacare. Obamacare 
is less evil than the system we had before, but it's still kind of evil. It's still going to leave millions of people uninsured. Um, 17,000 people a year roughly are going to die under Obamacare because they don't have insurance. It leaves people uninsured, um, leaves people behind. It's not universal. Uh, Guaranteed minimum income. All these programs we have to address poverty, we could bundle them all together, eliminate them, and give people all guaranteed minimum income, which was a proposal that Richard Nixon made in the late 60s and I think early 70s. Guaranteed minimum income was so radical and socialist that a Republican president was talking about uh, enacting it. And just those two things, absent a strong labor movement, absent um, decent jobs, like those two things taken together would relieve a whole lot of stress for a whole lot of working people and poor people. And we'd have fewer kids born uh, with those uh, hair trigger brains you were talking about. Yeah, the guaranteed minimum income. The, the, I, I see the arguments against it. Um, I see what they're saying. It's like they're worried that people get lazy and that people are just going to take that minimum income and they're just going to, you know, and they're not going to work hard because if they somebody have a gave you seventy-five thousand dollars a year, not that that would be the minimum income, but if you had a whole seventy-five k lying around, mm-hmm. would you stop doing shit? Some people would. But does, yeah, I know people. I've had people that work, work for me who are lazy as fuck because they get a, <laughs> a, a guaranteed income. So I see the human nature aspect of it. But the reality is, like saying that the minimum wage shouldn't be $15 an hour. Well, it's, asking someone to work for a fucking hour and only giving them $15 is ridiculous. And when you own something like McDonald's, some gigantic multi-billion dollar, dollar corporation, or even a franchise of a multi-billion dollar corporation, the idea that you, that resource of a human being working for you is not worth $15 in an hour, well, you're not making efficient use of that person then. Well, the, the whole, the problem with when we talk about minimum wage workers in fast food establishments is we have gotten it into our heads somehow because of corporate media, I think, because of uh, the way we write about the labor movement or labor markets or capital. God, this is usually not my what I talk about, and but I'd love to talk about it. Um, We've got into our heads that the guy who owns the McDonald's who's giving that person a job is doing that person a favor, that mm-hmm. they're lucky to have a job, that they shouldn't look at their employer with anything but gratitude as if they're serfs, as if there's feudalism, as opposed to that laborer is creating the wealth. That laborer is creating wealth for the for the McDonald's corporation, for all of its shareholders. And that laborer isn't just an employee who the corporation is doing a favor by giving a job. That person creates wealth for the shareholders and has a claim, a legitimate claim to a share of that wealth and a living wage share of that wealth. And when you look at McDonald's, like billions of dollars of profit, I I did this on the back of a napkin once, uh, just Googling around. McDonald's with its employees in the United States, it it made $7 billion in profit last year. They could pay each one of their employees an extra 15 or 20K a year just by returning $6 billion in profit to their shareholders one year instead of $7 billion. That maybe a billion of that $7 billion rightfully belongs to McDonald's employees that generated that wealth in the first place and not just to McDonald's shareholders. Why can't we have that conversation? Well, it's a good conversation for sure. I think the, the, the you know, Why there's we a lot of elements. Like there's a lot of elements to what a human does when they work for. I mean, if you have a, a gigantic corporations, is there's a huge. It's a, it's a huge thing with a lot of moving pieces. And the moving pieces, the organic moving pieces, are human beings. And some of the organic moving pieces are CEOs, and some of them are managers, and there's this hierarchy as far as, like, funds. But when it gets down to the, the, the workers that are introduced, the, the bottom-line people that come in and they fill out an application, they need a job, 
the idea that paying them $15 an hour is outrageous is fucking crazy. Like, what, what, how do you expect these people to feed themselves? How do you expect these people to pay for food, pay for housing? You can't do that on less than $15 an hour. You can barely do that on $15 an hour. And part of the problem is the people who comment, the, the, the politicians are, you know, in their 60s and 70s, most of them, 50s and up. Um, for their generation, those were jobs you had as teenagers. Those were jobs that nobody uh, worked in for years and years. They weren't a job that wasn't a job working at McDonald's that an adult with a child had. And everything has changed in the last thirty or forty years since policymakers, pundits, people who edit newspapers were in the la- that kind that at that end of the labor market when they were just getting started. So they have this attitude that this is not this doesn't this isn't supposed to be a living wage job because working at McDonald's isn't something that an adult does all their lives in our new economy uh, you know with nothing but shitty jobs available with people with college degrees working at McDonald's people with kids trying to support their families working at McDonald's that $15 an hour or up is completely justified and you know we used to like let people we used to pay a living wage, a middle class wage to people who stood on assembly lines making cars doing the same small action over and over again as the car moved on the assembly line. And we, we say that, well, here's an assembly line for hamburgers, for food. Why should that person's labor be valued less mm-hmm. than the labor of the person working on this, a similar assembly line making a car? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the idea that this shouldn't be a job that an adult has. Who the fuck are you? You know, it's a job. What do you? Who the fuck are you to say that this is isn't a job that someone should have to support themselves? This is an entry level job. In a lot of it's places, ridiculous. it's the only job. The you know we're talking about the economic revival. We're talking about the recovery. Most of the jobs that have been created are shitty minimum wage jobs with no health insurance, no pension plans, nothing. We have to make these jobs better. If we're going to exist in an economy where it's just people making hamburgers for each other and passing them around or making drinks for each other, a service economy, we have to make these service economy jobs living wage, even middle class jobs. We have yeah. to transform our economy. Yeah, no no argument there at all. I think uh, just compassion and generosity are, are two things that if you found out that a corporation had and another corporation, opposing corporation, like you say, if Wendy's proved to be super compassionate and generous and they, they did that all the time and they support – and then across the street was McDonald's who was doing the opposite – I would always go to Wendy's. I would go there right away. I mean, I would try to vote with my dollar if that was the situation. I think if we find that there's someone steps up who would do that, that, so it needs to be the law. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that it only should be because people are compassionate, but I think that there's not enough people that do it. But I think if more people knew the benefits of that, they probably would. I think if more people were aware, and I think more people are socially aware now than ever before. I think more people are, I mean, just look at what people are getting in trouble for today that they would never get in trouble for before socially. Like, mm-hmm. look at this Donald Sterling thing. It's a perfect example. Guy says he doesn't want his girlfriend to take pictures with black people. That's it. Fine if she fucks him. Yeah, fine if she fucks him. <laughs> and everybody, by the way, conveniently ignores that aspect of the conversation. You I know. didn't. That's all I wrote about. Well, if it was the opposite, can you imagine if anybody had a problem with that? If you said, hey, listen, you can take pictures with black people all you want. Just don't fuck them. No one would say anything. They'd be like, well, this is an unfortunate conversation that was captured on, on video or recording, whether, you know, between some sad man and his girlfriend. Sad, old, old, yeah. old man. Old man with, it turns out, Alzheimer's. Now he's got, you know, they've diagnosed him with Alzheimer's. He's an old fuck. He's 82 years old. The, nobody rides for free, you know? Mm-hmm. This meat wagon that you're on is eventually going to fall apart. And when you're 82, begging to fuck some 20-year-old, you got to buy her Ferraris <laughs> and Bentleys. And you got to ask her not to take pictures with black people because you're, you're falling apart. You know, he's an old dude. But... 
the outrage and the the movement against him and you know and a lot of its posturing the nba fining him two and a half million dollars the highest amount banning him for life because he doesn't want his girlfriend taking pictures with black people that's fucking preposterous it's all ridiculous but what i like about it is a stand it's a stand a, a stand about the accepted social realities of our world today and that we can communicate that we don't like racism in a way that's never been able before. We communicate that we don't like racism, and then we say we have solved racism because we drove Donald Sterling out of the NBA. Meanwhile, we don't address the social inequities that are that, that, that with the racism so deeply encoded into uh, our society, our politics. Like we've solved the Donald Sterling problem. What about all these African American kids trapped in shitty, shitty, shitty schools on the south side of Chicago? What about efforts to disenfranchise millions of uh, people of color and young people? Uh, efforts being led by Republicans. It's almost as if the Donald Sterling freakout and all this desire to pay attention to it and then take satisfaction from the resolution of it is to dis- meant to distract us or in a way functions to distract us from the systemic racism that still plagues our society, that the much harder things to solve, so we don't solve them. We just sort of ignore them. We, we are disenfranchising African-American voters all over this country with the gutting of the Voting Rights Act by the Supreme Court. What the Supreme Court did is so much arguably worse and more racist and is going to have uh, more consequences for more African-American people than what Donald Sterling did. Asshole old fuck with Alzheimer puts foot in mouth. And the whole country stops to fix that, right? Nobody would rest until Donald Sterling was was driven out. And the Supreme Court guts the Voting Rights Act and disenfranchises millions of African-American voters all over the South. And nobody gives a fuck. Well, I don't think it's that. And I certainly don't think that anybody thinks we fixed racism. I think that it's a gossipy thing and people love gossip. And they caught an old man doing something he's not supposed to be. And part of the salaciousness of it is that it's on a recording. You didn't know he's being recorded. And the girlfriend is young and he's old. And it, I don't think anybody's claiming that we fixed racism because we caught this dude. But I think that what we're seeing now, because of the fact that anybody can be recorded at any point in but time. But people do say that. What we're seeing now is we're, we're seeing this access to information that we were talking about earlier. Mm. That things are getting very weird. The lines between privacy and public are getting very weird. And we're also seeing that there's a certain amount of people that have a reaction to what we deem to be a racist thing, a racist rea- a racist act, what he did, and we're upset about it. I don't think it absolves the Supreme Court. Or the, I think people conveniently ignore choose, the Supreme Court because it's confusing. Look at what we choose to get upset about. Look at what but, we choose to pay attention to. And you did hear confusing. people in the wake of Donald Sterling saying, oh, this is evidence of the progress we've made. But I think it is evidence of the progress that we've made. What about the evidence the much greater and weightier evidence of the moving backwards on voting rights for people of color. I don't think they're mutually the, exclusive. I think that no, that, is, the, but, true. But that co- is true. That is true. That They can both happen mm-hmm. simultaneously, yes. but the conversation about Sterling was so much louder, longer, and more impassioned on all parts than the conversation about well, the guy voting it's, rights. It's act. easy to understand. The Sterling thing is it's gossip. It's a guy fine. who's it old. F- it's a story as old as time. It a man who's rich it- and a young woman who's young and hot and he fucks her for money. But look at the way people understand it. People right. understand it to mean we've made this tremendous progress on issues of race in our country and our culture and our politics and our media. And in actuality, the real story is we're going backwards fast and gutting Donald Sterling on primetime television doesn't change that. Well, I think socially it does. 
I think socially it makes people a little bit more aware of the that fe- people have an intolerance for so racism. A, cult- a culture and society can do blatantly racist shit. Just don't say. No, it's not. I, I think the Supreme Court thing. I, I disagree with you on this because I don't think the Supreme Court thing is. I think it's ignored first of all by the mainstream media because people tend to blank out when you talk about the Supreme Court. There's a certain amount of people that are aware and intelligent and concerned and active in voting and all these you know, various laws that get passed that are very detrimental to the way we live our lives and, and racist. They, they're aware of them, and there's plenty of websites that cover these things. But I think mainstream news, whether it's Fox News, whether it's CNN, all the, they ignore it. And one of the reasons why they ignore it is because it's a goddamn ratings killer, because most people don't understand looking- how laws are created, and they don't understand what, what happens when it comes to the Supreme Court and right. politics and the Senate and, the, and Congress. It's all very confusing, and they zone out when that shit goes on. And it is the responsibility of the media to make the real story the exciting, sexy one. That, that's where it gets curious. I mean, you look because at, what okay, is the gonna, media? Is January's it a business gonna, or is it, is it news Jan- distribution? January is going to come around and we're all going to fillet ourselves celebrating Martin Luther King Day and how wonderful and awesome that is. Meanwhile, what Martin Luther King fought for uh, wasn't just, you know, the civil rights movement wasn't just about, uh, you know, eating lunch at the Woolworths counter. It was about registering people to vote. It was about... Uh, poll taxes and poll tests um, and the disenfranchisement of African-American voters all through the South. We are back there. We are back to that disenfranchisement what, what, that he what, fought against. What as, makes as you we think we're back there? Here about this. Huh? What, yeah, it's funny, right? The Voting Rights Act, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, the day after the Voting Rights Act was gutted, all these states that had uh, uh, voter ID laws that disenfranchise primarily people of color um, that were on hold because they were being contested in court by the federal government immediately implemented them. For and, folks who don't know this, it was ex- explain, explain what it means. Explain voter what it means. ID yeah. laws? Voter ID laws uh, to combat vote fraud, of which there is no evidence that there is any sort of vote fraud going on, any vote for courses. And vote fraud means you show up and vote uh, at a polling place pretending to be someone you're not. That's vote fraud. You can register to vote. Uh, you know, Mickey Mouse can register to vote. Mickey Mouse can't show up to vote, right? So somebody's going to show up, pretend to be Joe Rogan, and, and vote in your place. Right. That doesn't happen to throw elections. It doesn't happen. Voter ID laws are ostensibly designed to stop this thing that doesn't happen, which is voter fraud. And, this and, is and it all... requires someone to have a, a photo, a government issued photo identification, which a lot of people, particularly poor people, particularly people of color, don't have. They're registered to vote. They have addresses. They have, uh, you know, bills that come to their house with their names and their addresses. They can prove that they're them. They don't have a driver's license. And so people who are in their 90s, people in their 80s, African-Americans in the South who've been voting uh, since the 60s, since they won the right to vote in the South, are showing up to the polls being turned away because they don't have a driver's license. Well, they don't drive. And the same governments, or the same state governments that are uh, instituting many of these uh, voter ID laws are closing voter ID, uh, places where voters can get identification, are, are shutting down DMV branches, are making it harder to get the ID that you need to vote. They're just raising the bar, making it more and more difficult, particularly for poor people, African-American people, young people to vote. And this is going on, and this is blatantly racist, and it is going on while the Donald Sterling thing is going on, and all we can talk about is Donald Sterling. Well, this was sort of uh, highlighted by the Al Gore uh, administration, or the Al Gore campaign, when he was running for president. And they, they did this all throughout Florida, they did th- this all throughout the South. They uh, shut people out. A lot of people Purged were, the voter yes. rolls. They keep doing it. Yeah. They, keep to, they were doing it in uh, Florida before 2012. Purging the voter rolls. Yeah. And, and, and done specifically to try to keep Democrats from voting. And yeah, weirdly, when you looked at who was being purged, uh, poor precincts, uh, precincts that had Democrats, 
people of color. And also went on the same time the Diebold voting scandal was going on, where the Hacking Democracy documentary was released, where they showed that not only are these Diebold electronic voting machines hackable, but they're engineered to be hackable, engineered to have a third-party access. Everything Everything should be paper ballot. You think? Yeah. And and vote by mail, which is what we have in Washington State. Everything's vote by mail. We have no polling places. You get you register to vote. You get your ballot in the mail. It comes to your house. You fill it out. You put it back in the mail. Do you think sh- people should be able to vote online? If there was a way to make it secure, and there should be a way to make it secure, well, we could bank online. banking secure yeah. online. Uh, I do think there should be a way to vote online. But uh, I'm. But but that like you know somebody could hack that somebody hack Target somebody but they can, can hack, hack money. online voting Pardon? But they they can hack money I mean they can hack anything I mean if 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 that's where our worries about we they certainly can hack paper voting I mean they did that all the what was hangy chads remember that yeah you know I mean that's the butterfly hacking. ballot in two thousand that gave us George W Bush for president yeah I mean there was a lot of shit that they've done without a doubt I mean how many bags of fucking voter receipts have gone missing throughout the years people have had paper voting. I mean, how many how many people have hidden things or changed things or moved things around? That's essentially the same as hacking. It's actually probably less traceable than electronic hacking could be if done correctly through a very secure way, one of the, the same way that banking's done. One of the ways you can uh, prevent hacking the vote at Washington State, where we have uh, mail, all mail-in, is you can track your vote online, that you, uh, you send in your ballot... Um, they send it to you, you send it back, and then there's a website you can go to, and it will indicate when your ballot has been received and when your ballot has been counted. Hmm. That's a good idea. I mean, that, so, that, that, so that if you vote and you feel like your ballot's been misplaced, you feel like your ballot may have been trashed, mm-hmm. or you, know, you, you worry that somebody could be breaking in and stealing ballots and throwing them away, it, you can go and make sure that your ballot was processed and counted. So that if your ballot went missing, you can vote again. You can go down to the county and do a provisional ballot. Well, that's a great idea. I mean, I think that, that if, if that's implemented nationwide and done in some sort of an electronic way, I mean, we could have a, a radical shift in the way people are elected. But like Bill Maher said last week on uh, Real Time, Republicans win when people don't vote. They want to drive the vote down. Mm-hmm. And so you have one party uh, that is that self-interest lies in not getting more people to vote. That's why they're shutting down early voting stations. That's why they're closing polling places in states controlled by the Republican Party, because they want fewer people to vote. It would be mm-hmm. great if we had a universal, uh, an Australian system where voting is mandatory. You pay a 10-buck fine if you don't want to vote. You don't have to vote. It's a 10-buck fine or something. Uh, it's a monetary ding if you don't vote in Australia. But if everybody voted, we would have gun control. Well, I think there should be a way if um, if if you don't. If everyone vote, voted, we'd have health care. We'd have national health care. All these things are popular with average voters who don't vote because I think they're not motivated. There should be a way where if you don't vote, you have less access to something. Pornography. If you only could access online porn after voting, everybody would fucking vote. Well, it would be interesting. At least we'd find out where the people's priorities lie. But I think. <laughs> If you if you made it set up so that there was some sort of a social uh, p- price to pay, you know, like maybe there was didn't have access to national parks, you didn't have access to certain things if you didn't vote, like your 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 lack of participation really, in the that process that runs up against the First Amendment because mm-hmm. there's a, there's an argument to be made that not voting itself is a form of speech, right? That it's to reject uh, either all the candidates who are on offer or to reject the the system itself and, and to advocate by refusing to participate some other form of government. Uh, and, and and so you know that that's not that can't be implemented. Some like punishment because of the First Amendment, punishment for not voting because uh, 
it's totally a legit argument to make that not voting is a form of speech. Well, there's also a big problem with the voting system itself. The two-party system is inherently flawed. And not only that, you have both sides being supported by the same corporations, left and right. Well, we it's need proportional representation. And yeah. until we have that, we're going to have this corporatist democracy that's a little fucked. You know, we seem to manage... Your, your hopefulness for the survival of the species and the planet, I have that sort of hopefulness for uh, our democracy and the way it sort of careens from near disaster to near disaster and then writes itself. Um, I think our democracy is uh, perhaps um, healthier uh, and, and likelier to survive than the planet itself. I think it's and a the massive planet, our democracy, you know, the, the earth that our culture and society depends on to live is less likely to survive. Than so I, I think it's a puppet show. I think that what we're dealing with now is massive corporations that have incredible influence that pay politicians to support their causes. And that's what that's what we call voting. We have two choices. But we have one our- strong choice in the left, one strong choice in the right. Both of them, in, in many ways, are supported by the same interests. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's not voting. I mean, that's just it's pretend. A fa- it's a false it's choice, which is why some yeah. people don't vote, and that is protected speech to not vote. But there are certain issues, social issues, that the left tends to... F- favor that the right ignores and there's certain issues that the right tends to favor and the left ignores or or opposes it gets weird man it gets weird because people love to be in a group they love to be on a team they love to be you know whatever it is whether it's a you know people that uh, drive chevys they love to be in a group of other chevy owners you know they love it if they feel like camaraderie they can feel like a team i'm a parent you know my kids careening towards 18 and, uh, you know, you talk about tribalism, like family identity, that like you're from a Republican family. And I would always hear that and I wouldn't, I never quite understood it, but I get it now. Because I say to my, you know, I've said to my son, when you're 18, you're registered to vote. If you're still living in this house, you're registered to vote. And God help you if you vote Republican. This is a But why would you family. say that, though? <laughs> it, what if he, he has different opinions? Isn't uh, he allowed to have different opinions? Yeah, he's allowed to have different opinions if he's paying his own rent and buying his own food. Oh, not that I'm going to monitor his vote or anything. It's like joking. Like I'll kill right. you if you vote re- okay. Republican. I'm not going to like hover over him as he votes. But you know, families do impart a certain uh, political identity, not mm. just uh, religious identity or cultural identity. I think and we're that, we're really doing that to our kids. Well, I think that socially, though, people don't like that when you suppress. Like, there's a, a school that uh, one of my daughter's friends goes to where you can't have different color hair. You know, uh, like if you if you dry, dye your hair a color that's not natural, they freak out at you. They they won't let you do it. And I'm like, that's ridiculous because then if you tell a girl that she can't have pink hair or green hair, or tell a boy he can't dye his hair purple, they're gonna fucking hate you. Like, who are you? What difference does it make? I don't have any hair. How about that? You know, what difference does it make? I mean, am I allowed to have this, to wear a wig to be in your fucking school? Why does the school have that policy? They're assholes. They're a bunch of old assholes that grew up without the internet. Probably they set all these rules. They want people to behave a certain way. Why do they make you put your fucking seat back up when you're landing a plane is it someone gonna die it's it's bullshit it's nonsense it's a control issue it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on safety no it does have a bearing on safety the seat being up and back on a plane yeah because it makes it easier for people to get out of their aisle in a hurry like if the seats are all wanky janky up and down and you have to evacuate the plane that fucking plane goes down it ain't gonna matter it does matter look at the plane that landed in the Hudson and everybody had to get hustle out of it to get on the wings as it sank there's that that plane crash oh god where was it where the poor kids got run over by fire trucks and then they were running out of the plane after crash mm-hmm. most people got off that plane some people burned to death on that plane because they didn't they couldn't get off it in time probably because some people were getting their more bags yeah and trying to get likely. their bags as they evacuated the plane yeah you don't want you know maybe some people were you know americans are big maybe some people were wedged behind 
That's a size issue. Wanky, janky seats. In the first class aisles, this fucking ain't going to do shit. There's the difference between getting out and this. Well, yeah, first class a big is goddamn gap. And the You've I, been in coach on United lately? Holy crap. Yeah. I was in coach on United a month ago. It's you ridiculous. You floss your teeth with the hair of the person sitting in front of you. Well, I had my computer open, and the guy in front of me sat back, and my computer shut. Like, it was on the tray. The guy put his seat back, and it literally closed the computer. I couldn't. <laughs> I had to like scoot back and push it forward like this. If we had a re- if we had a real democracy, we would have a referendum on non declining non non reclining seats. Like every seat set to a certain pitch, and no up and down, no reclining bullshit, mm-hmm. no passive aggressive game playing on airplanes anymore. About reclining. All right, so maybe the back seat back thing doesn't work. That argument doesn't work in, as far as United goes. But the reason why people tell people they can't have color hair. Is because they're trying to control them, and when you try to control people, they rebound. You, mm-hmm. you grew up Catholic. I, I was Catholic too for a little bit, and uh, when I was a kid, we always knew that Catholic girls were the biggest sluts. <laughs> and the reason why Catholic girls are the biggest sluts, I have to defend and my mother and my sister's I honor. I am at this not slut shaming, <laughs> but when you suppress people, when you suppress people like that, when don't think about a banana. They fucking go crazy. People don't like other people telling them what to do. They go bananas. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. It's not natural. It's not healthy. And when they can look at it objectively and go, what fucking difference does it make if my hair is pink? Your hair could be pink and you could be a goddamn scientist that saves the world. It does not matter what color your fucking hair is. Well, why do you send your kid there? No, I don't. No, oh. no, 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 no. It's one of my daughter's friends. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. But you sent your daughter No, 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 no. I think it's 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 just a function of people who ha- they want control and they don't worry about the repercussions of that control. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that Republicans tend to be more in that camp. They tend to be more in the camp of people who want control. They tend to be more in the camp they fear of change. They want ties, they want you to, you know, wear loafers, stay in line, they don't want you to be gay, they don't want you to be weird, they don't want you to be, <laughs> you know, they don't want you to have tattoos, they don't They're want fine you to- if you're gay, you just have to be closeted. Yeah. That's that's a that's a real weird one, isn't it? You, what did you think about the whole thing that was going on during the Bush administration when Jeff Gannon was in the White House? When he's an embedded reporter. For folks who don't know, it was a guy who not only was he a gay prostitute, but he ran a gay prostitute website, and he would be an embedded reporter, and he would lob these ridiculous some... softballs yeah. at the president. Mr. President. How awesome are you today? Yeah. Are you awesomer than yesterday? <laughs> and do, do you, you believe you'll be awesomer tomorrow than you are today? My favorite one is, when are these Democrats going to come to realize how ridiculous their ideas are like it was like literally <laughs> literally that was like one of his questions he would throw these stupid fucking softballs there's at some Bush. backstory to that that we are never gonna get that's like locked up in some safe about oh yeah how he got credentialed who he knew in the white house how he got uh, well it's he, all tied into that dude that was chasing kenneth star it was all tied into him mm-hmm. and uh who's the guy who uh the, the main engineer guy who uh got bush into office and he carl, carl rove. rove yeah carl rove is notoriously closeted right isn't he supposedly allegedly i have no he's yeah. never, he never sucked my dick well you should ask i bet he would say yes. there are things my dick won't do and carl <laughs> rove's mouth would be really high on the list but it, still he's never sucked he, my it's dick. some sort of a glory hit thing glory hole thing going on <laughs> Um, that would be an inglorious hole. It's somebody, he had spent the night at the White House on more than one occasion. So there, there's some uh, inherent weirdness involved in that guy. People have sex in the White House. But not only that, they also, like, when you, well, I always say, if you look at people that are trying to, like, actively trying to oppose gay marriage, you know, actively trying to oppose gay relationships, trying to stop them, almost always there's something ex- gay going they on. They are externalizing an internal conflict. Yes. When you look at somebody like Marcus Bachman, 
who yes. runs, who's a, Michelle Bachman's husband, Michelle Bachman's husband, who is pray the gay away, who is gayer sound asleep <laughs> on the sofa than I am with a, my dick in my husband's ass. That man is on fire, right? And we yeah. can all see it. And uh, you know, I don't know if he's actually gay or not, but he certainly plays one on TV. And you. And his whole like practice, part of his practice is devoted to ex-gay therapy, to talking other people out of what he talked himself out of being. There's a lot of rage that fuels the anti-gay movement, and it's peopled by the people who say being gay is a choice. Mm-hmm. They saying sexual orientation is a choice because they chose not to be gay. They chose yes. not to come out and identify as gay. They are gay and they keep getting outed ted haggard george reekers there's all these examples of prominent people in the anti-gay right and the ex-gay movement itself like george reekers who get caught with dicks of course because they've externalized this internal conflict i I would love you know as somebody i write to a lot of like young people and it would be so great if being rabidly homophobic became associated with being gay i think it is because because there's like there's homophobia out there like kids don't want anyone to think they're gay so i say to these like high school and college age kids i sometimes talk to if you don't want anyone to think you're gay don't be anti-gay because that makes people think you're gay like if you don't if being being thought of as gay makes you uncomfortable and squeaks you out because gay is icky then you better be cool with the gays don't you think that's already the case though I think it's catching on, but not entirely the case with high school, college age kids. There's still that homophobia, still that paranoia. Amongst any smart kids, it is. Any smart kid gives a little sideways, like, well, what are you so angry about, dude? I did it. I had a. And there's no, really quickly before we go on, there's science here that they have wired up oh, yeah. with a penis somatograph. I can never say this word. Mm-hmm. It's basically a glass tube. You stick somebody's dick in, you show them porn, and it measures very subtle blood flow changes <laughs> to the dick and hard ons. And you show, they like took homophobes, they measured these people without telling them, measuring them for their homophobia, and they showed these guys gay porn, and they all got boners. So, like, homophobia correlates very strongly with gay desire and arousal. Yeah, isn't it amazing that homophobes, they actually agreed to sign up for that? I mean, you might not be getting, like, the most unbiased group. Yeah, I mean, the fucking, that group might be a mess. I think we need to look at the research methodology, but I do believe they didn't say, (laughs) we need homophobes for this study where we're going to see if you're actually fags or not. They didn't recruit quite quite that blatantly. I had a joke in my last special that if you hate gay marriage, is one of two reasons. Either you're really dumb or you're secretly worried that dicks are delicious. Those are the only <laughs> two possibilities. Otherwise, why would you give a fuck? It's like this guy, this Duck Dynasty guy, who's always like, I don't get it. You know, I don't get why a man would... You don't have to get everything. Like, you don't... I don't get yellow cars. I don't get dubstep. I don't I, get I don't get cunnilingus, but I'm not trying to pass a constitutional yeah. amendment banning it. That's the diff. Like, I don't care if you don't get it. It's not for you. Like, there are things that aren't for me, and that's fine. I like Rick Perry the other day comparing homosexuality to alcoholism because... Yeah, everybody knows. Like, what is he, Rick Perry, telling us about himself? Because you say to somebody you're an alcoholic, and they say, "Oh, I just have a couple of drinks before dinner. I'm not an alcoholic." Like, okay, did Rick he Perry, compare it? He really, yeah, compared he equated it? homosexuality and alcoholism. So is he basically saying, you know, you go to Rick Perry, like, are you gay? No, I have a couple of dicks before dinner. I'm not gay or anything. <laughs> That's how it would work if they were exactly the same. Uh. That's hilarious, Rick Perry. That guy was so silly. He was one of my favorite guys ever debating when he yeah. got to that point where he didn't remember what he was talking about. He's like, I don't remember the rest. And he had the meltdown in that speech in Vermont where they gave him the maple syrup and then he just kind of lost it. My favorite thing about that, though, was the, the whole country coming to the conclusion that this man, Rick Perry, was too stupid to be president. 
but just stupid enough to be governor of Texas. He needs to go home and, and keep on being governor of Texas because he's not. You can't be too stupid to be governor of Texas, as we learned in 2000. Texas didn't bother. You know, they they didn't care. It didn't bother them whatsoever that he was all stupid and shit and no. fucking forgetting things. He's a leader. He's a good man. He represents my Christian values. That's all I care about. I mean, how hard is it to be the goddamn governor? What are you going to do? Keep the Mexicans out? Oh Make God. sure I keep my guns? We're good. <laughs> We're good. I don't need a lot of government. I don't need a lot of government. That's the, the I don't need a lot of government argument is fascinating. I think From the same people who are calling for more government patrols at the border yeah. and, and more deportations. How do you do that without more government? Well, we need that kind of government. And calling for the government to stop women from having abortions. And well, how do we you need achieve? that kind of government. They want to shrink government so it's just small enough to jam up every woman's twat. Then government will be the perfect size. That's Jesus government. This is a different kind of government. That's, <laughs> that's in the Bible, son. Imagine if people had the same reactions to seafood that they do to gay marriage or gay love. Because in the Bible, like seafood, shellfish, it's very fucking bad for you. Mm-hmm. They don't want it. They don't want it. So shellfish and pigs. Se- yeah, shrimp. There's many references. More than gay marriage, more than gay sex. Right-wing fundamentalist Christians will tell you that, you know, that was the old law and Jesus <laughs> negated it. And now we have the new law. But the New Testament supports slavery. Uh, obey your master as you would obey Christ. Um, the New Testament uh, condemns, Jesus in his own word, condemns uh, divorce. And anybody who uh, is, divorces his wife is committing adultery. Um, and you don't have a big mass Christian movement in this country to ban divorce just to attack gay people who want to get married. Yeah, that would be the best way if you really wanted to prove the sanctity of marriage. Ban divorce. Ban divorce and ban Vegas chapels. <laughs> Those ones you can go in when you're fucking And how hammered. about a three strikes you're out rule? Like, you can get married three <laughs> times, but that's... Like, Newt Gingrich, this is your last one. You fuck this one up, Newt, and no more. How many times has he been married? Three. I can't trust people that fat. You're lazy. <laughs> If you get that fat and you're trying to be a leader like that Chris Christie guy, like I have a lot of fat friends and they're great, but they're lazy. You can't run things. You have too many personal demons and people could say, oh, you're fat shaming. You're fat shaming. Look, man, what happens when you get a fucking a lap band? What's going on there? They're stopping you from consuming food. They're not, they're not really fixing anything other than they're making your stomach smaller. There's a lot of laziness involved in that argument. It's a very silly, silly argument. And when you got a big, fat, mutton face like Newt Gingrich does, you're lazy. You're a lazy person. Or maybe you enjoy food. You know, I get in trouble sometimes with the fat acceptance movement because I believe, and I have said, and this gets called catphobic, that there is a relationship between how much you eat, how much you move, and how big you are. I don't have any problem with people who are content at whatever size they want to be. Mm-hmm. I just have a problem when I'm asked to pretend that there's no relationship between consumption, movement, and size. Well, all this shaming and, and, like, you nonsense. Look at, you look at Chris Christie. If, I, if, if somebody had said before Chris Christie got his lap band that he has a food problem, that there's food issues, that's why he's so big, you would have been attacked by the fat acceptance movement for food shaming him or judging him, and it's not always about food. But then the intervention... <laughs> Gets between Chris Christie and food, and he starts losing weight. So clearly there was a food problem. The intervention is food. There are people who are, you know... Have, did he get a lap band? He got uh, bariatric surgery. Did he really? When yeah, did he do that's that? that's why he's losing so much weight in the last, like, a year and a half ago. I don't pay attention to him. Running up, running for... He's going to... He was, you know, before the bridge scandal came along and fucked him, he was going to run for president. So they made him lose weight to run for president. Fat acceptance, the fat acceptance movement. I accept fat people as friends. I accept them and all the... But there's a reason why you're overweight, and, Whatever it is, whether it's hormonal, whether it's, uh, you know, when you have a slow metabolism, whatever it is, there's food that comes into your body and that's what makes you overweight. I mean,
mean, that it's really that simple. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of new research, like you were saying, that you know, people in utero whose parents are stressed, mm-hmm. uh, that can have an impact on their brain. There's also evidence that shows that there's a relationship between in utero stuff, and I can't off the top of my head call it up. I could look it up. Um, that can have an impact on somebody's uh, metabolism and on the obesity, their propensity to being obese. Um, there are cultural factors. I think there are societal factors. But there's also there are also medical and genetic factors at play as well. Sometimes people will hide behind the medical and genetic factors and claim that the entire obesity epidemic is about some sort of mass uh, morphing, um, <laughs> a genetic uh, what's the word? Darwinism mutation, um, and we're all suddenly genetically predisposed in a way that we weren't before. But there are genetic factors at play and not just uh, personal factors or personal Well, there's genetic factors at play as far as metabolism goes, that some people consume food and it it is digested quicker. But the reality is, what is the lap band doing? What the lap band is doing is interfering with your ability to to consume. So if you just had the same discipline that the lap band uh, provides you, essentially what it's doing. It's, right. The lap band is enforcing a discipline. And that discipline is, now you don't have a choice to whether or not you eat smaller portions. You're being forced to eat smaller right. portions because your stomach is smaller. But if somebody doesn't want to get the lap band, if somebody mm-hmm. is happy at whatever size they are, I don't judge them. I don't judge them either, but I do judge them. And this is why I judge them. I, I judge don't judge them, them either, but I do judge have, them. Well, I don't judge them as a human being, but I judge them if you want to be a person who's in control. If you want to be a person who's in power, when someone runs for office, you have to judge their character. You have to judge their will. You have to judge their discipline See, I, I don't have any discipline it's about power well yeah well I mean, you think, a, a think person about, without discipline well, cannot be a person who leads no, a person think, who I leads think, should be a person that has all their ducks in a row I think it's there's some maybe there's something here also about class because when you think about uh, you know in societies where food is scarce uh, it's better to be bigger that, that right. larger is more attractive because it says something about your, your, your power it mm-hmm. says something about your access to resources and now, in a you know society swimming in cheap calories, if you are not obese, it says something about your power. Again, it says that you are able to resist this, that you have right. that, that strength to resist it, perhaps, and not to succumb to all these cheap and easy calories that are everywhere. So I think what you're tapping into there when you say not a leader is you're looking for people who are powerful, and it is now... Uh, you know, slimness is associated with uh, higher socioeconomic classes and higher education levels. And so I think that's what you're, that's informing your opinion perhaps subconsciously about bigger people is that obesity is associated with uh, the underclass. That's not what I'm saying with Chris Christie by far. He's obviously has enough money to eat healthy. That's ridiculous. That guy could eat salads all day if he wants to. Nothing's stopping him economically from eating healthy food. Mm-hmm. He's a fat fuck because he's lazy. Because he likes to shove things in his gourd oh my God, we're that feel so good. Much trouble over this Who cares? Conversation. Who cares? What did it, what did, what is it when you're a wealthy person? If you're a wealthy person, if you're a wealthy person and you choose to eat food that makes you obese, what's going on there? You're making a choice. Now you can make choices all day to smoke cigarettes, to drink booze, to do unhealthy things. To have, uh, all sorts of things, the lie in the sun, who cares? But when you become a person that's trying to get into a position of leadership, what is a leader? A person who you look up to, you say, that guy has got his stuff in order. That woman is clearly a person who is exceptional, she thinks clearly, she's disciplined, she's compassionate, she's nice, and she's a, a person that I can be inspired Did by. You, support you can't Clinton? be inspired by that when you're a big fat fuck. Did you support Clinton? 
I support the lesser of two evils. No, no, country. no. I met Clinton in the in the when he was fat, nineties. Yeah, when he was jogging. Yeah, yeah. Clinton, I voted like, for him. Big Clinton. So did I. Yeah. So why not Christie then? Because look who he's up against. Look who Clinton was up against. I mean, look at the look at Bush Senior. Look at so if it was a wash, if it was if there was not a dime for the difference between uh, George H. W. Bush and uh, William Jefferson Clinton, you would have voted for George H. W. just on being the skinnier of the two. If it was well, you'd have to have a different George H. W. Well, I mean, yeah, just totally like, different two, human two completely being. equal candidates. You have to flip a coin to decide one is skinny, one is. Well, I think it's a fat. Well, Clinton was not fat when he was running for president. He became fat, and I'm I'm, I'm sure that pressure and a lot of the the the. the uh, I mean, he was obviously sexually kind of gluttonous. You know, he's a kind a of a of wild big man. Yeah, a man of big appetites. We and that's want one of that the reasons why leader. a guy like that gets into office in the first place is because they they want what they want and JFK, they want it now. Uh, yes. or JFK, a man of appetites, sexual sure. appetites. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a man of big appetites. Um, but I think Clinton's benefits were that he's extremely intelligent, that he had uh, a grasp of foreign policy, that he had this way of speaking that was very inspiring. There was a lot of very, very positive things about Clinton. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant man. I think that's without question. But I think he himself recognized that he had issues with his body. And then he became he's a, a vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah. He's a vegan. Or vegan, however you're supposed vegan. to say that. You're supposed to say vegan, yeah. I, say I mean, at, in, at his, its top you know, weight when he was jogging all the time and still eating cheeseburgers, I mean, he was, it was kind of a joke, right? I mean, it was kind yeah. of a funny thing. But I think that that was constantly picked on for a reason, I mean, it was, it was something that was laughed at and mocked for a reason. It's not that you should mock everyone who's fat everywhere you go, but I think when you put yourself in a position where you're saying, I look, you, I want to be a leader. I want to be the person who runs things. Check, check me out. But you're I'm saying qualified. that Christie's weight disqualifies him, at least for you, partially because of the you know not disciplined thing. Clinton's weight humanized him. Otherwise, he was this Rhodes Scholar governor of a, of a state in his very early in life kind of political automaton and there was something about Clinton's appetites and I think for food and for pussy which we all knew about and Every you know, people kind of you know heard bimbo eruptions and shit before uh, the bimbo eruptions actually erupted. Um, that made him feel like a human being and not just a political machine, not just a robot. And I think people voted for Clinton in part because of his appetites. Maybe I think certainly people like people that are soft. You know, like in, that don't make them feel uncomfortable. Like someone, if you get some Ubermensch who's running for office and he's fucking running up hills every day with a weight vest on and he's a fucking animal in the gym and, you know, he has strict discipline, he doesn't put salt in his food, no fat in his diet, drinks only water, that'll make you a little uncomfortable. Yeah, like this guy's like, he's like so driven and disciplined and crazy, he, he might be a psychopath. There might be something wrong with his connection. There's no human eye. He doesn't like cake. A guy who doesn't like cake, I can't, I I can't cake. get behind that. I like cake too, but look, I, my it's easy for me to stay thin. I, I've been involved in exercise my entire life. I'm very biased when it comes to when I talk about weights. But when I see someone who's just blatantly obese and they want to run for president or they want to run for office or they, they want to put themselves in a position of leadership, you have to judge that. But no, leaders, leadership is about ideas and leadership. If there was a leader who was morbidly obese and supported uh, you know, a revived labor movement and health care for all mm -hmm. and uh, urban policies and mass transit and doing addressing, not just addressing, but fucking doing something about climate change. I would vote for that obese candidate over some shredded 
idiot who took the opposite position on all of right but things. that's a manufactured argument because who's saying that the other guy has to be like uh, that he have to have all these great qualities and be fat but, but if they have all these great qualities and be fat that fat part is the only thing that's wrong with them that's great yeah it's wonderful but if you have someone who is like a, a normal human being that has all sorts fat. of issues oh there is though there isn't it's unhealthy so if someone's smoking. living, so smoking, so smoking is a huge flaw. Clint, uh, Obama, Obama smokes. smokes. I think it's a huge flaw. I think it's a huge flaw. Did you vote for him? I voted for. I voted for him because I felt like what are the what's what's the possibility of Sarah Palin becoming president? What's the really, possibility? That was the only reason. Yeah. What's the possibility the only difference of, between McCain, McCain, McCain and well, Obama was Palin? Well, McCain was. He's got a lot of issues. Talk about you. You're First saying, of all, he's really old and really okay. And second of all, look, the, you were just saying the judgment, the greater of two evils argument like i thought obama was going to be way different than what he is in the first place i have a lot of friends who smoke i mean i'm not saying there's anything wrong with smoking it's an easy thing to get caught up in it's an easy thing to catch you and mm -hmm. the next thing you know you can't get rid of it you're addicted to it but it is a flaw it's absolutely a flaw and when you're judging leaders look i have flaws i'm sure you have flaws human beings have flaws but that's a real one that's a real one and you're I was, sucking on cancer sticks I, you, 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 there's I, no benefit nobody to hates smoking more than i do um, I've never smoked. I've never had a lit cigarette in my hand. Uh, I think it's disgusting. Okay, well, let's look at it this way. If you were going to date someone, but I voted for someone. Obama, and and I think that I think it's unfair to say. And, and you know, there's a lot of anti-fat workplace discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, people who are big pay a real economic price that has nothing to do with, I think, with their capabilities, their you know ability to to do a job. Most of us do jobs that require us to sit on our asses and type. Uh, you know, we live in an information or burger flipping economy, and that's it. And there's nothing about being uh, even very large that prevents them from doing that. And I think it's well, you know, there's a, and there's a lot of anti you know there's a lot of workplace discrimination against big people. And I think that your attitude towards not wanting to vote for somebody for president because they're big is of that anti-fat prejudice that fat acceptance people have total legit complaint about. Well, that's not really necessarily true because when you look at the statistics as far as people that call in sick, people that have sick days, people that show up, hours work, fat people notoriously call in sick more, injured more, have more issues because their body is unhealthy. I don't, I don't want to see those studies. I don't, I don't necessarily. We could go Google so. them right now. I guarantee you. There's, I've read many studies on obesity and workplace. Okay. We'll get our duly laptops out. And work... What would you look up? Workplace what? Obesity, workplace discrimination. No. That's obesity and... I can't believe I'm having to like do the uh, the fat acceptance uh, side of this argument because a lot of the fat acceptance people hate me because I argue that there's a relationship between consumption, movement, and Of course, and because nobody wants to be judged. I mean, that's what it is. Is obesity affecting your company's bottom line? Obesity in the workplace. Yeah. All around the world, companies are constantly facing many different struggles and hardships that are triggered by the economy and everyday problems. Uh, look, we could we could have this conversation, but I think it probably uh, would get in the way of an actual podcast that anybody wants to listen to. <laughs> Let's know? talk about sex or something. Yeah. Well, the problem is we would be, we'd be Googling things and we wouldn't do a great thorough job of, of covering it. And, you know, I, w w also... We're running into this situation here where in being honest, you worry about hurting people's feelings and you worry about backlash. And I know you faced a bunch of backlash about that. You faced a bunch of backlash from transge transgender people. You faced a bunch of backlash from... So you have to kind of hedge your 
your points because you worry about this backlash. So you have to. But the reality of being overweight is if you had a friend and they were overweight and they were willing to listen to you, you would say you would be healthier and happier if you lost the weight. Is fat acceptance that you just ignore that? I mean, what is fat acceptance? You you pretend that they're fine. Oh you God. pretend that they're healthy. I can't because it's not healthy. I can't do the fat acceptance side of the argument. You should have somebody from the FA movement on to talk about it. <laughs> the FA movement. Uh, but if movement. I had a if I had a friend who was uh, big, you know, I wouldn't shame them and I wouldn't guilt them. But if they asked me for advice, I would definitely say, you know, whatever size you're going to be, the more exercise you get, the more you move and the, the more the decent food you eat, just the better you're, you feel in your skin and your sure. body, whatever your size is. I don't no question think that everybody needs to be, every guy needs to be an Adonis and every woman needs to be a size zero. But I do think that if you move more, particularly sexually, you know, if you move more, you're going to have more stamina, you have more oxygen in your bloodstream, and you just, you feel better in your own skin. And that's true for me. If I don't get exercise, I get depressed. I, you Depression, know, my, cognitive function, there's all sorts of correlations. My mother, when she was, you know, not too many years older than I am now, started taking antidepressants. And I haven't had to start, and I don't think I'm going to have to start because unlike my mother, I actually get exercise, and that is my antidepressant. And it does work for people, but not everybody has the time or the space or the inclination. I think people should do what makes them happy. If you want to smoke, smoke. If you want to smoke pot, smoke pot. If you want to use Coke, I think you're crazy, but go ahead. If you if, if you find pleasure in in food, if you are a gourmand, if you if you are if a you what? are a gourmand, a gourmand, what is that? Uh, someone who lives to eat and finds exquisite pleasure in in dining, and and you want, and this is this is what you want to uh, build your life around because because this is what gives you pleasure, and that's what we're all here on this planet doing, like finding those things that give us pleasure, pursuing happiness. Um, great. Do it. The only objection I ever make is when then I have to pretend that the sky is green and the grass is blue and there isn't a relationship between calories in, movement, and size. So we're in agreement. Except I would vote for somebody who was big because I think that's irrelevant. When it <laughs> but comes to what leadership. is it irrelevant if that person got in the office and they were unhealthy and depressed because they're obese? If Wouldn't you, you think but, that would have a fun affection? Unhealthy and depressed doesn't correlate only with obesity. You would have to know all sorts of other things about. So you'd, you, going back to earlier, you'd have to know how stressed out their mother was when they were carrying the baby in utero to know if they are hair triggered. Do you want somebody with a hair trigger? But you were just the correlating button? those two things. You were no, just a correlating obesity and depression. You were just cor- a cor- correlating. No, I was, health cor- I was correlating and obesity, movement, and depression, exercise, and depression. One of the fringe benefits of exercise is you'll probably be less obese or lose weight. But I think it's the endorphins and the the movement and the oxygen pumping through your system. Not everybody who exercises is. Some people who exercise and are, are, are very fit are bigger people. I have, I, have a, I have an obese? uncle. Who, I have an uncle who bikes twenty miles a day back and forth. Uh, what does he to eat? work? If he's a fat guy, what does he eat? Some people are coded to be big. There were people. Okay, of all well then, how come you can give history? them a lap band and all of a sudden they shrink down because they have smaller portions? The, the lap. Uh, you're being, I you're I doing really I good here. Defend, I can't believe I'm. You're being in really this good here trying to take this position. It's really cute. It's cute to watch because <laughs> I can see oh, the blowback that you've experienced all throughout oh, your life. Oh God! F- speaking your opinion and people I'm getting trying, mad at you. I'm trying to have a more nuanced position than I did when people were mad at me. I'm not conceding mm-hmm. ground on calories in, movement size mm-hmm. being related. But and there is an obesity epidemic. I do think it's tied uh, largely to. Um, societal corn factors, syrup. corn syrup, sedentary lifestyles, uh, laziness, um, that it can be learned and can be unlearned. 
But also there are some people who are their bodies naturally set to a larger weight. There are a lot of people who claim that they are those people who are not. Mm -hmm. They're just eating poorly. They're just Chris Christie. Um, but there are people who r retain, and this is you know this is another place where I get in trouble because I want to say you know my husband has a metabolism like uh, like a, a hive of wasps. He just burns everything. I don't know why wasps would make sense with that. But, Hummingbird, maybe. Yeah, he just he can he right. can sit down and eat four pints of ice cream and not gain any weight. I can't, so I don't. And when you talk to some people in the fat acceptance movement, they talk about you know consumption as if it should be fair, as opposed to something you have to be self-aware about. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to be big, so I watch my husband have dessert half the time. Well, the and idea I don't of have it fair, myself. nothing's fair when it comes to biology. Why is it fair that some people have giant noses? Why is it fair or that some people dicks. are born? Yeah, well, there's no fair in any of it. Some people are born deaf. There's nothing fair. You know, if you were born with a slow metabolism, that is a reality of the hand that you've been dealt, you know? And right. if you choose to say, you know what? I like food more than I like being healthy or I like food more than I like being thin, that's fine. I mean, that's your choice. I'm not, not saying that you shouldn't be able to make that choice. But I am saying that if you look at someone that's running for an office or wants to be a leader, wants to be an example, and you have this glaring flaw, this glaring flaw that you kind of gluttonous with okay, the way well, you ignore a, your body. That's a glaring flaw that you can take into account, um, but mm -hmm. I think... I honestly think it's irrelevant. Oh, it's not irrelevant. It's a factor. It might not be the only factor, but it's certainly a factor. If you if a guy just can't wait to end his meeting so he could stuff pie into his face. What about what about the people who say that Clinton, uh, you know, because he fucked Monica Lewinsky, you know, a politician who cheated on his wife can't be trusted not to cheat the country. Well, that's a silly argument. Right. So it's a silly argument to say somebody who's undisciplined around food won't be disciplined enough to be uh, a decent governor who oversees a decent administration that enacts decent policies that benefit. But no one's saying that he wouldn't all. be. What we're saying is that that's, no, that's you, you have to judge saying. him based on the whole. If you judge someone based on the whole, is that an example that you would want as a leader? A person who can't get their shit together as far as their body. I don't. I don't. Uh, there are people who can't keep their dicks in their pants, and I think that's irrelevant to whether they're going to be a good president or mm -hmm. not. FDR was a pretty good president, and. The evidence is clear that he was not just sleeping with Eleanor, if he ever did, after a while. Uh, and good president. JFK was fucking everything. And people believe he was a pretty good president. Uh, Sidestep nuclear annihilation, for which we should all be grateful. Uh, I think it's irrelevant. And, is it and, irrelevant? And if, and if that sort of uh, appetite around sex doesn't tell us that someone isn't qualified to be a, a decent politician and a good leader, that kind of appetite around food... It doesn't tell us anything about whether they're going to be a good leader or not either. But isn't a person who's running for president, like, wasn't one of the issues that a lot of people had with Obama smoking and that it sets a bad example. If the president of the United States can't quit smoking, I Jesus Christ. I hate that moralistic The example? Crap. What, exa setting an example? Well, that, that's why Anthony Weiner had to be out of uh, Congress. Well, oh, think uh, of the he's children. He's kind of a liar. That's, there's a the lot children. going on there. But it's not even just think setting of the children. Setting a bad example is why Ginsburg isn't on the Supreme Court. Yeah, but this, we're talking about something irrelevant like marijuana. We're talking about something that gives you cancer like cigarettes. It's a, it's a, it's a health issue. If kids see... Marijuana has health kids, impacts. Marijuana is, like what? Name one. 
Uh, it makes me slow and stupid. Please. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you, if you're slow and stupid, you're slow and stupid because you smoke too much pot, and it'll go you away. Are, you're it's knock, not a health you issue. You are knocking your brain around a little bit no, you're when not. you smoke pot. You're not. You're not. There's no, there's I'm no a, studies I'm a whatsoever. I call myself a pothead. There's no studies whatsoever that have shown any cognitive negative side effects of marijuana that are real. During teenage years. Well, during formative years, you shouldn't drink alcohol. You shouldn't fucking hold your breath. You so shouldn't the, do so whippets. The argument against Ginsburg on breath. the Supreme Court no, no, because he smoked point. a joint was he was setting a bad example for those kids. But it's a bad. There it's, are it's demonstrable a, uh, harms to uh, smoking. But pot. it's not true because there's no nothing has ever been shown. And all these look, there was a big article that just came out recently. The DEA spent four decades suppressing information about the positive benefits of marijuana. All of the positive effects of marijuana, far as shrinking tumors, as far as actually improving people that have had traumatic brain injuries. There's a lot of I'm the, for the, pot. I but, smoke pot. But you're so you're why are you using Ginsburg as an example? No, I'm not using Ginsburg as an example. I'm saying that you just said that weight around politicians it sets. We weren't a bad talking example. about weight. We were talking about cigarettes. Oh, we were smoking. talking about it sets Obama. a bad example for the kids, right? Well. Pot use, that was the argument against Ginsburg. Right, but it's, based on, but it's based on ignorance. It's not based on ignorance when you're talking about cigarettes. Cigarettes actually do kill, no, kill but, you. But marijuana, cigarettes kill 500,000 people every year. Right, no, I'm, marijuana, cigarettes are the much greater evil. I'm a pothead. Marijuana's not evil. A, I, <laughs> but it's just not evil. No, saying marijuana are, is evil is like I'm saying, saying hammers are I'm evil. I'm not saying marijuana people is kill evil. With hammers. I'm not saying marijuana is evil. There are studies and and sound science that shows that marijuana uh, the developing one. adolescent brain we could look it up right now okay There's the developing adolescent brain I know, but this is, is the argument thing. about whether it's a good example who are we talking about when we say something's a bad example we're talking about the kiddies that was the argument used to keep Ginsburg off the Supreme Court that his pot use was going to sh- send the wrong message to kids that's what you're just talking about with cigarettes and the president here's the problem kids, with anybody example. saying that marijuana gives a bad is bad for the formative years of children you're not testing kids and saying okay we're going to take a bunch of kids that are healthy and normal and we're going to have a study group we're going to give them marijuana and we're going to have people that are equal in their cognitive abilities and, and, do and we're going to give them no, no, no marijuana we don't have that we do, so we what we have, have is a bunch of people that have issues and you right, test these people that have issues and it says oh well they do marijuana well is the marijuana the cause of the issues are there a bunch of factors are they depressed do they have mental illness issues is is something run in their family how old are your kids i have uh 17 6 and 4 do you want the 17 year old smoking pot right now i don't have a problem with it really yeah i don't think it's an issue I think alcohol is a b- much bigger issue. I agree. I wrote that in a book that, you know, I don't when my think, kid's 15, I'd rather he was smoking pot than drinking. I'd I don't think kids using should. using a drug that takes the edge off as opposed to puts mm-hmm. the edge on. And alcohol makes kids, boys, particularly aggressive. And we know this from the same sorts of bullshit studies that you would slam for pot. No, no, we no, don't no, do no, no, no. Alcohol is stu- poison. Sci- we don't do controlled studies, uh, medical studies on humans. So we don't have evidence, uh, the same sort of evidence um, that we have for other things that we can do controlled studies on, uh, control group style studies. But there is a confluence of evidence that pot is, for the developing adolescent's brain, not the greatest idea. And maybe with our children's brains we should err on the side of caution and encourage them to maybe wait for pot for after their brains are fully formed hypothalamus it interferes with judgment around risk-taking according to the studies that i have read Mm -hmm. yeah the studies that again we talked about this the 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 real issue is these children already have issues their issues the correlation between marijuana may or may not be the reason why they got into i just don't think something that has the psychotropic effects that marijuana has has that impact can can be just sort of like 
we can just dismiss it as not being impactful. We do you use know marijuana. How many we, kids? Use, we use marijuana because it's impactful. Yes, but do you know how many kids smoked pot in high school and are fucking fine? God Most. damn, the numbers I know gigantic. That. I know. I tell myself that every day. The numbers With gigantic. My fingers crossed. I know. I, it I is. really don't think that that's nearly I didn't smoke the issue. Pot till I was thirty four, but, but I know most other people don't, including mm-hmm. you know I have friends who are who are uh, whose careers I will not mention lest I identify them uh, who have been smoking pot since they were 12. I don't think that being a teenage pot smoker uh, means you're going to be a wasted loser as an adult. So what are you saying? I am saying it's tough on the brain. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. I really don't. I mean, I think anything where you abuse but are, it, but you talk we're about, talking about you use talk about, versus abuse. You talk about skewed samples. I think, you know, when I think about my own son and I think about, you know, uh, whether what he might be doing or what he is doing, um, I always reassure myself with you know I know this person was smoking pot all through high school and middle school and this person and that mm-hmm. person everybody I know uh, so many of them are you know we're using pot in high school middle school and they're fine and then every once in a while I think yeah but the guys who are using pot in middle school and high school aren't fine I wouldn't know them as an adult they wouldn't be part of my sphere as an adult so I don't have a representative sample of the impact of pot on the adolescent brain because the people I know who are successful who smoked pot when they were uh, middle school students and high school students are fine because the people who smoked pot who derailed their lives or it did have some negative impact they're not anybody I would ever meet right I don't know what you're saying the people that derailed their life, you wouldn't meet them? They wouldn't. You know, I, the, I, I'm a successful person. I hang out with like responsible, sane, successful people who have their mm-hmm. shit together. Right. I don't hang out with people who don't have their shit together. So that I reassure myself about adolescent drug use as I parent an adolescent, because everybody I know who's an adult who is an adolescent drug user is fine, only goes so far because everybody I don't know who is an adolescent drug user isn't fine. I wouldn't know those right. people. Okay, I so I don't saying. have a fully representative sample. My study of like mm-hmm. everybody I know is fine isn't any more scientifically sound than the studies of pot use and its impact on uh, adolescents that you're condemning. Well, I think you could be really clear that anytime you're altering consciousness you you run risks and you have rewards there's positive benefits there's negative exactly. benefits exactly and it could be argued that there are positive benefits to altering your consciousness when you're young because it forces you to step outside of the predetermined pattern of behavior that's been prescribed to you by society and culture and it gives you a chance to as a young person look at this world that you live in and go you know what I don't want to be my fucking parents I don't want to be that teacher that's an asshole I don't want to be the principal I, I, I want to figure out what it is is about what they're telling me that's true and what it is about this life that we live that is just operating on momentum. And that is something that marijuana provides young people. And I don't think it's something they should abuse. And I don't think it's something that should be anybody should smoke on a regular basis, on a daily basis, all day. I think that clouding your reality consistently and constantly, whether it's with mushrooms or marijuana, it becomes a very, very slippery thing. And I think it's not good for consciousness. I think consciousness can be enhanced by adding psychedelics to it, whether it's psychotropic plants, medicines, uh, meditation, yoga, all those different things have psychedelic effects. And one of the things about psychedelic effects is the reset option, the option to go there, do something, have this ability to step outside of the pattern that you find yourself right. in. Now, that doesn't happen with cigarettes. And that doesn't no, happen. The cigarettes just, and yeah. that's why this argument is disingenuous. The cigarette thing about it being a bad example. There's zero fucking benefits to sucking on a, 
a thing that kills half a million people a year, costs money, smells like shit. When you see a guy like the president who smokes cigarettes and you say, well, that guy is upsetting a bad example. I think that's pretty fucking valid. And if the president had smoked marijuana sometime in his life, like Ginsburg, and you know, he was getting, he's admitted well, it. He talks okay, about it. I don't think it's as big a deal. You know what I think is? I don't the worst, think it's nearly. Do you know what I think what the worst example in the president's case is that he smoked pot, didn't get caught, didn't get caught up in the criminal justice system as a young African American male, and treats marijuana decriminalization once he becomes president as some big joke. I don't. Yeah, when it I could have like destroyed that. his life, the uh, punitive, yeah. racist, anti-drug policies that we have in this country could have destroyed his life. And as soon as he, you know, he gets elected president as having been an out pot smoker and acts like any suggestion about marijuana decriminalization or reform is beneath contempt and shouldn't be considered. And he says, because of the kids, that hypocrisy of the presidents around pot is so much more offensive to me than the president's idiocy around getting addicted to, to cigarettes. I agree. And I think it speaks to the, the common thoughts of people. I mean, if you looked at, if you wanted to poll people and tr try to appease the people, you would say something like that, like the president said, that it's speaking to the children, worrying about the children. That's a good thing to do if you want to be a politician. If you want to not speak your mind and not be honest and support the facts, but instead go with the flow. And, and that's, up, and that's what the flow of this country is. This, but, but the country is still worried about children with the marijuana. flow, But prop up a system that could have destroyed you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. No argument there. I mean, look, the drug policies that we have, uh, they're not just racist. They're ridiculous. I mean, we don't have a, a society that avoids drugs. We don't have a drug-free society by any stretch of the imagination. We have a, a society where you could drive down this fucking street and every single restaurant serves drugs. Every single one. Go to CVS. You could drink yourself to death. You just mm -hmm. walk right into CVS, buy a gallon of Jack Daniels, drink it all in one shot. You're a fucking dead man. You could go to that pill counter, and if you have the right doctor, he can prescribe you the right medication. You fucking suck the whole bottle down with a shot of whiskey, you and you're no done. Argument with me. You're done. So this idea of a drug-free society is preposterous. It I had is. Dr. Carl Hart on, who's uh, an expert in addiction, and one of the things that he said that's so important is not only will we never have a drug-free society, you don't want a drug-free society. You don't want it. <laughs> and it's just the idea of sanctioned drugs. Well, it's not right? just that. It's the idea of sanctioned drugs as opposed to you know unsanctioned drugs. Like who? What is the benefit of these sanctioned drugs? And if you look at it, it's, it's clear there's an economic motive to have some drugs sanctioned and some not if that wasn't the case well god damn it wouldn't the fucking president be complaining about cigarettes wouldn't politicians be saying we're going to outlaw cigarettes because you're dealing with a drug that kills a massive amount of people in this country mm -hmm. prematurely half a million people a year just in this country millions worldwide wouldn't a president step up wouldn't someone who's running for office someone who's in a position of leadership Say something against that. The reason why they don't is economics. It's really simple. The reason why nicotine e is a sanctioned drug is purely because of economics. Economics and the selective, uh, selectively learned lessons of prohibition. We can't ban cigarettes. We, you know, we did we banned alcohol because it was bad for people. people you know, led to family breakups and violence and cirrhosis of the liver. Led to and, organized and crime, many many millions of deaths. And we, you know, had alcohol prohibition and it fueled organized crime and people drank anyway. So prohibition doesn't work. So no one's going to argue for the prohibition of cigarettes. Wouldn't work for the exact same reasons. And then you ask those same people about drug prohibition and they go, "What? What? Don't don't doesn't compute." Right. So the you know the same argument that you would make for legalizing pot and probably other drugs. Uh, 
prevents you from banning cigarettes. Well, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that we live in a world where information is readily accessible, and we live in that world very briefly. This has only been around for a couple of decades. 1994-ish, when the internet came along, really probably in the 2000s, when people started really accessing it on a regular basis and using search, search engines and finding answers to questions. All these people that are basing all these ideas that they have, they're, they're based on the momentum of an ignorant past. I mean, that's essentially what we're, what we're dealing with. So I think that what we're dealing with right now with this scramble to try to figure out what should be legal and what shouldn't be legal and why is this legal and this is sanctioned and we got to worry about the children. It's just this adolescent stage that we're in. We're, we're learning how to process information and we're learning how to base our decisions and base our ideas and our, our ideologies on reality mm-hmm. as opposed to these stupid ideas that we have about reefer madness or, you know, the, or the ideas that they had about what, what booze could do to you. Yeah, booze can fuck you up. Doesn't mean it should be legal. I like it. I like booze. It should be legal. I like that I could go to a bar and get a shot. I like it. I Would think- you ban cigarettes if you could? No. Do whatever the fuck you want. I don't mind cigars, cigarettes. I think you should be able to get heroin. I think you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want. Kids can still get heroin. It's not as easy, but they can still get heroin. I think that Oxycontins are a huge fucking problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a friend of mine, a, a different one, who uh, has uh, um, high school kids, his kid, uh, their, their friends got in trouble from fucking snorting Oxycontins. And it's a huge problem a huge problem in kids schools because they steal it from their parents their parents had a back injury that fucking goes on forever because pharmaceutical companies don't mind if they continue to keep selling you these fucking oxycontins he steals it from his mother because she's whacked out of her fucking mind on heroin (laughs) they take it to school smash it up and snort it and it's an issue and it's an issue with a lot of high school kids today you know i think we have a real problem with people wanting to do things to escape reality. We have a real problem. And one of the real problems that we have is we don't represent reality clearly to children. We don't represent what a drug really is. We don't five represent- minutes ago, you were saying it's good for kids to experiment with drugs a little bit to test reality against an alternative reality. We're talking outside. very differently about heroin, which is a very different. Right. Subject. We're talking about something that can kill you, something that's physically addictive, and marijuana, which is fairly innocuous. When you look at all no, the no, drugs that are sanctioned agree. and legal. But, so mushrooms? Totally legal. 100% legal. Beneficial. Not only that, you, I think it would change the world. You think we should be able to get heroin if we want it? And I, I think it, I don't think you should be able to tell me that I can't do heroin. And I think that's what happens when you have con. laws. That's what happens when... It's the same thing. I don't think you should be able to tell me mm-hmm. what I should or shouldn't be able to do. If the whole world was yeah, just I'm a, I'm Dan your, Savage and Joe Rogan, okay? I, I'm on your if, side. If we're I'm the whole world. Just, you know, if heroin was legal, like Ron Paul said in one of the Republican debates uh, last time that I was like, that, I've written that. You know, he said that heroin should be legal and the Republican crowd booed. And he looked at them and said, if it was legal, would you do it? That's if, a good if, question. If heroin was, I, could, I live in Seattle. The streets are paved with heroin. You can get heroin. Mm-hmm. We're having a spike again. What happens in Seattle is, you know, a whole bunch of people die and then everybody stops using heroin and then everybody forgets and then everybody has to, like, lose some friends again. Um, There's a stupid learning curve with heroin. We're going through it again. But if, uh, you know, I'm pretty pro-drugs. I've used uh, lots of different kinds of drugs. And I believe in moderation in all things, including moderation. And the best advice you can get if you find a recreational drug that really works for you is to use that very rarely because that impact it has the first time 
if you use it constantly, you'll never have that impact ever again. So if mushrooms, if you really like that mushroom trip, wait a few years and then do it again. No, Don't no, do no. It mushrooms, are, no, no, it's very different than heroin. So the, the, the comparison but, 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 but is But the ridiculous. idea was that heroin, but no, no, if no, heroin no, was legal, I wouldn't. You can't make that comparison with mushrooms, mushrooms I'm but not you just did. I'm, no, I'm talking about moderation in all things. But no, 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 but my, my, heroin is toxic. Mushrooms are psychedelics, right. and they're not toxic at all. The LD50 rate for mushrooms is through the fucking I, I was roof. just digressing off of uh, believing the drugs should be legal and the heroin thing but that this, we're learning now. this is now. the problem. I didn't mean to word mushrooms drugs. with heroin. But the thing is, if heroin was, was legal, if I could walk to a pharmacy and buy it, mm-hmm. I wouldn't because right. I don't want to do it. Good point. But if like mushroom, Paul if mushrooms were legal, audience. I think it would change the consciousness, period. I think human beings would develop a completely different sense of reality itself completely different self of our perspective in the universe I, i've I think used it's mushrooms a, and i didn't mind get, expanding i didn't get that he probably effect. took a small dose how much do i need to take five grams usually in darkness if you can get in an isolation tank go that way whoa yeah don't be a pussy <laughs> if you're talking about mushrooms and you haven't gone the big route you've wet your feet you know you've dipped your toes in the water you haven't jumped into the ocean can i tell you my mushroom story sure it's pretty please. funny yeah uh, with some friends, we went camping, we were doing mushrooms and, uh, we're all standing in this lake in Idaho, uh, with some like redneck families camping all around us. And we're like two gay guys and two straight, the straight couple. And we're just tripping out of our minds on mushrooms. And we're standing in this lake and these fish are nibbling our, the hairs on our legs. And we're all like, Whoa. And then suddenly there's a boat going back and forth in front of us that has dare the drug or, awareness resistance education (laughs) logo that's like the police boat that's going back and forth in front of us and then a prop airplane comes right at us we're like standing there and this airplane is like we see it in the sky it's getting lower and lower it's pointed right at us it comes over right at us at the boat and we were all like are we see are you seeing an airplane (laughs) to each other and then the airplane went right over our heads and we all shit ourselves we were terrified we were like what the fuck and it disappeared like right behind us on this little rise and we're like what the fuck and we ran up there thinking it was going to be a plane crash and there was a runway that we didn't see because we'd come down to the beach sideways and along the sand and there was an airport right there Uh, but there was this moment where like we're tripping the fish are eating us the dare boat's going like this which is making us paranoid and now here comes the plane for our heads and uh, I haven't done mushrooms since, and maybe that's why. Yeah, that's probably a bad place to do mushrooms. Set and setting is one of the most important things Idaho's about any sort place. of site. Well, where you were, <laughs> at a boat with a fucking dare boat going by and a plane flying. I mean, you're at a runway. It's, we had no idea. We were standing at the foot of a runway. Yeah, silence is usually the best option. You know, silence and darkness is what Terrence McKenna prescribed. Silent darkness is the best way to do any sort of psychedelic because then you are alone with the psychedelic and not any sort of external factors that you would have to take into consideration when you experience the trip. But I'll file that away. Like the, the, yeah, I mean, do what you want. But I think if you want to do mushrooms, it should be goddamn legal. And I think if it was legal, it would change the world. I think if we had sanctioned centers where people could go and have what would you consider a modern day shaman, someone who understood the reactions to these drugs, had pure drugs. And, and again, the, wor- the problem is the word drug, because drug is this giant blanket that we throw over aspirin and caffeine and alcohol and psychedelics. I mean, it's preposterous that all these things with radically different results, mm-hmm. radically different effects on the human body are all under the same blanket. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, imagine if all food, I mean, just food was just a blank term for food. 
and all food had incredible i mean some of them were anabolic and they made you grow giant muscles and other ones were toxic and they fucked you up and if if if, if food was so it was differentiated by that in one blanket term it would be really weird you know, but no, we have vegetables and we have meats and we have fish and we have, what'd you eat? I had fruit. I had food. You don't say I had food. Uh-huh. You know, what'd you do? I took drugs. What kind of drugs did you take? Uh, I took heroin. Oh, okay. I took aspirin. I took aspirin. Well, that's a, is that a drug? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I took caffeine. Oh, that's not a drug. You just drank coffee, but it's a drug. Oh, I had a cigarette. That's not a drug. Yes, it is. You know, it's a drug distribution device. It's you burn it. It gets in your bloodstream very quickly that way. Yeah, it's a drug. Like what? That's a drug too. Yes, that's a drug. Well, I don't do drugs, but I like to drink. You're fucking doing drugs. God damn it. We have a real problem with our definitions. We have a real problem with that one blanket term, and that's why we have this war against drugs. It's fucking ridiculous. It's no, it's, it's fucking not ending. It'll it is restart ending. up if some other fucking dum-dum gets in office. Like Chris Christie, that dummy, who thinks oh, marijuana will never be legal on my watch. Cheeseburger sucking asshole who wants to keep marijuana out of his state. There's facts on the ground and there's uh, eggs that can't be unscrambled. And I think what's happening in Washington State and Colorado around Cash-wise, right? Undone cash wise, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's a generation of income, and I think that's what's changing the whole game because money influences politics more than anything. And corporations have been able to get the sort of the, the hold on that. They they've had a monopoly on influence through money. Mm-hmm. But I think that now what you're seeing with Colorado, first year, first of all, thirty nine percent is what they tax marijuana on in Colorado recreationally. Medically, it's far lower, but thirty nine percent recreationally, and people are like, okay. 39 is fine. No one's complaining at all. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you're getting hundreds of millions of dollars of potential revenue. The first year is going to be over $100 million. That's a lot of fucking money. Mm-hmm. And when that kind of money happens, then Republicans start thinking about owning, owning warehouses filled with marijuana grow right. ops. And when that happens... That's happening. Yeah. And, and hopefully they'll smoke a little and fucking relax and feel a little paranoid. That's a good part. Feel oh, a little no, humble. Republicans do not have a problem with feeling paranoid. Well, They're they should feel paranoid about their actions and their thoughts and their, the, the lack of compassion that they showed of various aspects of our society. I think that's one of the things that marijuana does. The vulnerability that people like to call paranoia. In my opinion, it's a, it's a heightening of awareness and it's taking off your blinders and making you recognize that you should be a little paranoid. You should be a little a little more humble. Nobody likes cocky people. Nobody likes people that aren't afraid of anything and mm-hmm. are fucking fearless and think that they're the shit. That's like one of the worst aspects of, of human beings, right? Well, that's one of the one things that marijuana chips away at. It slams that thing right down into the gutter and makes you realize, look, you're fucking you're not here for very long, man. You're not here for very long. And consider the whole picture. Consider the big thing. That's what psychedelics do. They allow you to consider things in a way other than this pattern, this groove that you've sort of cut in by driving the same way to work every day and dealing with the same church and dealing with the same people in your office and the same fucking NRA newsletters you get every day. You're carving a path of of cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. and you don't realize it until you do something that makes you get out of that path. How do we get some mushrooms to Sarah Palin? There you go. (laughs) Sarah Palin needs a lot. She needs a lot. But she could and an isolation. She tank. also we need an isolation tank for her. We all everyone needs an isolation tank. I think literally everyone needs one. I think it's one of the most positive things you could ever have in your life. The, the, the chance to be alone with your thoughts. It's a very rare thing. Even when you meditate, you feel the the ground underneath your butt. You feel your hands sitting on your knees. You know you feel your fingertips touching each other. You feel you hear things. You're in a room. You can open your eyes. You see the room. You know the, the, even even that. It's, it's good to meditate. It's great. It's way better to meditate in an isolation tank. 
A woman That's likes, where you float, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Sensory deprivation tanks were invented by a guy named John Lilly, who was a pioneer in interspecies communication. He's a, he used to take acid and set up a dolphin tank next to uh, his isolation tank and mm-hmm. try to communicate with the dolphins through doing acid in a sensory deprivation tank. He was a fascinating, fascinating guy. But he was trying to figure out a way to remove the influence of uh, the external reactions that the body has to stimuli, to touching things and hearing things. And he was the first first one that he invented he had a, a like a mask like a giant like scuba diver old school Jules Verne type bubble head mm-hmm. and it was strapped with all these harnesses and he would just float with this air bubble that attached to his head and that was his first tank with warm water the water has to be essentially the same temperature as the surface of your skin so you don't feel the water anymore but you still feel the straps and the helmet mm-hmm. and he kind of ignored that and would go into this this state and then he figured out that you could just put really really salty water so the tank has 800 to a thousand pounds of salt in it epsom salts which is actually a very good way of absorbing magnesium Mm because it's absorbed through the skin and you lie down this tank the temperature is the same temperature as the surface of your skin close the door total silence total darkness half your body's underwater and in the absence of sensory input any sensory input your brain has resources that are beyond what you ever achieve in everyday life because if we were having this conversation there was a jackhammer going off next door it would be very distracting we would want to go in the other room we didn't hear the jackhammer and that would be a relief mm-hmm. well life is a fucking jackhammer everything you do is is, is input it's do all they change the water I wouldn't want to use the water if somebody else had used it well it depends yeah that's that's one thing um, it depends on where you go they always change the water okay. first of all they change the water and there's massive filtration systems that are involved like the, the place that I go to uh, that I get my tank from is a place called the float lab and this guy crash will be on the podcast we're working on getting him on here he um, has developed this intense uh, filtration system that also involves ozone uh, ozone which kills anything that might be alive inside of the water the water itself being so hypersalinated mm-hmm. that kills everything as well and it goes through two massive filters which are you know in, in intensely small amount of particles or you know they're all filtered out of this system mm-hmm. and then you change the water you know regularly as well if it's a commercial thing mine might keep my water in there for six seven months at a time maybe a year at a time that's fine but that's the the least of your problems. You know, there's very few things are going to survive in that water. I mean, you could have some weirdo peas in it, I guess. And, you know, <laughs> take a shower afterwards. Don't yeah. worry. But the 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 benefits of an isolation. I've tank never done it. Being I should a, try it. You should totally do it. They have a place in Seattle. The guys in Seattle messages me all the time. They started it after they heard about it on the podcast. Oh wow! Yeah, they started a tank center. Um, I know there's is at least two in Seattle. There's a, one that just opened up in Austin. This guy's a bad motherfucker. He's creating them out of... Uh, he's using like uh, boat hulls, like the same uh, companies that manufacture boat hulls, and he's having them build these tanks to his specific specifications so that there's no lining. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a liner at the bottom of them because the old ones that they used to make were kind of flimsy, and the liner was like a waterbed liner, and sometimes it would break, and it would leak, and it would be a huge pain in the ass. You'd have to drain it and then put another new liner in. Sometimes Sometimes the heaters would burn out. It would cook through the liner. But Crash uses this liner that's like um, a koi pond liner. This really thick rubber, and it's not nothing's going to break that thing. It's mm-hmm. it's it's excellent, and I think it's a huge resource. And if if no one's had one, you're really doing yourself a, a, a disservice. It's a, an amazing thing, and it's a chance to have a psychedelic experience with no drugs. Your mind, in the absence of any sensory input, becomes very psychedelic. But you you would recommend also doing mushrooms and getting in the tank. 
if you really want to go deep, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Lily used to do, Lily used to do it with ketamine. He used to do in, intramuscular shots of ketamine and go into that, which I don't recommend because ketamine has some pretty severe addictive properties to it. And apparently, it's a horse tranquilizer. Cat. Yeah. A cat tranquilizer. Oh, yeah. cat? I thought yeah. it was horse. No. I think it's cat. Um, whatever. It's a fucking tranquilizer that we use on animals. <laughs> veterinary tranquilizer. But uh has some intense psychedelic properties to it, apparently. I'm going to have to go. You got to go? Yeah, I got to okay. get to the Damn. other end of the earth by three o'clock. Shit. We, uh, we had so much other things to talk about. Do you want to rattle off by. a few of them? No, no, no. We don't have to. Uh, look, I just think... Um, I wanted to talk about the transgender thing, too, to find out why people are angry at you. Why are transgender people angry at you? Uh, there's um, a segment of the trans community that r- believes the, that you shouldn't be allowed to use the word tranny, that tranny is a hate term. Um, I have, in my column, Savage Love, and on my podcast, I have a podcast, The Savage Lovecast, uh, but in the column, uh, when I started it in 91... Um, I was part of Queer Nation, and there was this movement to reclaim hate words, and so I used queer, faggot, dyke, sissy, tranny, and breeder, which is our hate word for straight people. Um, you can well, use that, by the way. Breeder, breeder, we, breeder. We don't mind. <laughs> Us actually, breeders, it's, it's we really less, don't have a problem with that. It's less of a hate term and more of an acknowledgement of your utility, because we do reproduce ourselves <laughs> out of your bodies, for the most part. Um, and, you know, about four years ago, kind of a top secret memo went out that uh, tranny was no longer a word that people could use. And Top secret? Well, in a way, like tranny, which had always sort of been okay to use, became not okay. It became the T word. Now it's the T slur. Uh, and what's a little like weird and dishonest about it is all usages of it prior to the movement to get people to stop using it are considered hate speech. Um, I've stopped using it. I only use it when I'm asked about why this word is problematic or why I don't use it anymore. Um, but there's a certain chunk of the trans community that can't uh, can't accept uh, change and wants to continue to scream and yell about prior usages that they objected to when I don't use it anymore. Hmm. Yeah, um, people are super sensitive about words. I think intent is the most important thing. Exactly. Right? Well, uh, faggot... Uh, when I started Savage Love, I'm gay, and it's an advice column for straight people, mostly about straight sex. And the salutation, like, Dear Abby, Dear Abby, every letter began in her column with Dear Abby. Um, every letter in my column began with, Hey, faggot. Now, well, that's what you wanted to call Savage Love, right? Yeah, is what I wanted to call it to begin with. <laughs> and um, that really proved that intent made a word hateful, not the string of letters, because some people would write, hey, faggot, I love your column. I love your advice. Please help me. I think you're awesome. And then the next letter would be, hey, faggot, you're a cocksucking, sodomite piece of shit. You should oh, go to hell and burn right. and die. And yeah. obviously, in the first letter, the faggot was a compliment. This person was using faggot affectionately. This person was using faggot the way I use faggot with my husband. Um, and the second letter, this is somebody using it hatefully. And that just proved that intent made a word hateful, not the word um, yeah and so now i you know i still use faggot in the column i'm not one of those uh gay rights activists who you know when david spade or jonah hill or alec baldwin uses faggot like falls down and screams and yells and calls for their heads uh, i've actually you know i defended david spade a million years ago from glad when they were after him i think louis ck does a hilarious things with faggot uh, so i don't think that it's not a hate word anymore if you can't let straight people use it when the hate, when the, their intent is clearly not hateful, and so I feel like it shouldn't be a problem for people to use the T word tranny in a non-hateful context. But so many trans people are so invested right now politically in a, in stopping its usage at all ever, and uh, you know, in deference to their delicate sensibilities, I've stopped. Mm, the delicate sensibilities thing is totally understandable. 
I mean, I couldn't imagine what it would be like growing up in one gender, wanting to be another gender, and you know, experiencing just a massive amount of hate and rejection your whole life because of that. And what and trans then, people face is off the charts. The, off the, the charts. Discrimination, the suicide rate, the employment discrimination, the violence, the, mm-hmm. the numbers of people who are trans who are murdered every year is outrageous. A lot of, you know, when we talk about anti-gay bullying, it's usually tied to gender nonconformity. Uh, it's like girls who are masculine and boys who are sissies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those kids who are gender nonconforming are also trans kids. So a lot of that anti-queer bullying of queer youth is anti-trans bullying. It is really the movement of the moment when, when it comes to sexual rights and uh, sexual minorities and gender rights, gender expression minorities. Um, and it's they have legitimate things, I think, to be extremely angry about. But I think some of that anger gets diverted into word policing that's not helpful. Like Bill O'Reilly was just on TV last week telling the parents of trans kids to do what all the research shows drives those kids to suicide. What is that? What was he saying? To reject them. What? To reject them, to, 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 to refuse to acknowledge their identities. To, he was to not telling people to yeah, do that? Yeah, that, that he, he was objecting to this video with these parents who uh, were, had allowed their kid to transition, and he was saying you should never do that, and was really just giving the, if you want, your, if you want to drive your trans kid to suicide, do what Bill O'Reilly is telling you to do. And there wasn't as much screaming and yelling about that as there was about RuPaul using female or female on RuPaul's Drag Race. So what was and O'Reilly's? That seems a little like disproportionate to me. The, but but you can, but you know, RuPaul will listen and Logo will listen and maybe change. And I think the sense is that there's nothing they could say to O'Reilly that's going to stop him from hating and trolling uh, trans people or the parents of trans kids. Trolling is so a big no, word for what he does as well. Yeah. Right? So there's no benefit in going after O'Reilly, whereas you go after Logo and they will change. But hmm. when you want to raise the awareness, when you want to save kids who are trans from the kind of parental bullying and rejection that leads to suicide, I think you do need to go after O'Reilly. Yeah, what, is, what was he saying? He's saying that they should ignore kids that are saying that they're transgender? They should tell their kid. they should insist that this little kid who was... Grow uh, out of it? Who was identified as female at birth, which is how you have to say it now, um, was not actually male. And they should, you know... Uh, Refuse to let the kid transition or live as the gender that the kid knows itself to be. Refuse? Yeah. Like, how do you refuse to... Well, the, you, this happens all the time to trans right. kids. Where There's a kid who, you know, uh, was born a girl, which, you know, some people, some trans people would say that even that uh, formula that I use now to talk about that kid is itself transphobic. There's a kid who's born a girl who 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 is male. the The brain has gender. It's gendered and wants to bring the body into alignment with the brain. And there are parents who will bully that kid, who will refuse to let that kid express their gender, mm-hmm. um, their real gender, as opposed to the gender they appeared to be at birth uh, because of their genitalia. Um, who will you know not allow the kid to cut her hair or cut his hair into a masculine haircut won't allow that kid to wear boy clothes won't allow that kid to use uh the the male pronoun to be he uh and that sort of rejection and creates the dysphoria creates the inner conflict that for a lot of trans kids destroys them and so o'reilly was saying to these people to do that. That, that you should just force them yeah whoa well goes back to the whole pink hair thing. It know? does. It Forcing does. Forcing people to do anything. And so people some of us like to be outside forced. of like, some of us who are in the LGBT movement, as I am, um, but who are not ourselves trans, look at the like focus on 
language and pronouns and who said what when and who stopped and who didn't uh, and think this is a lot of effort being expended lecturing your allies and, and going after people who are on your side. Meanwhile, you know, O'Reilly is pumping this through Fox News into homes all across the country, into conservative homes in red states and places where there may actually be trans kids who are very vulnerable to that kind of parental rejection. That might be something we want to focus on. Well, I can see how they would think, well, if we could get you to stop doing it, that would be a step in the right direction. And then from there, we could just stop. Well, I have stopped. The word tranny, though, to me is like... You realize if you're this a cab driver and you're a cabbie, you know, how, how right. come that's a problem? Well, that, that Trans, is, it's, is it negative? Tranny, is it negative? That is that is a lot of people's argument that tranny is this affectionate diminutive yeah. for transgender, also for uh, transvestite. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And a lot of transgenders for people object very vociferously to being lumped in with transvestites. They're not the same thing. Um, but, you know, a lot of people who do drag, particularly old school drag queens like RuPaul have been around for a long time, who self-identified as trannies mm-hmm. and are sort of of a moment, of a time, of an era when uh, transgender people and drag queens and, and, and a lot of people who were drag kings and scenesters were really part of the same cliques and, and subcultures. And so that the use of the word tranny wasn't, uh, was this umbrella term that was, that, that, that spoke of unity between transgender people and other people who are gender nonconforming, like a RuPaul, like a mm-hmm. drag queen, um, or a Justin Bond. And so they don't understand this sudden desire, particularly on the part of a lot of young trans activists, to declare this word that, you know, for RuPaul's generation meant unity between who he was or who she is and who his trans uh, brothers and sisters were like that was the word that unified them and they're saying that this is a word that stigmatizes and this is a word that cannot be used anymore and i think uh the rupaul uh you know rupaul doesn't uh that doesn't understand he rejects it he he thinks it's misplaced and uh he still uses the word i don't well except when i talk about it i will get grief for this conversation even to use the word to talk about not using the word is a problem. So you should say the T word, sort of like saying the N word. Like if a white person starts saying nigger in a conversation right. instead of the N word, it becomes an issue. Like and he I, said it, he said it, he said it. I love Louis C.K.'s bit that the N word is just what white people say to get away with saying yes. nigger. Yes. Yeah. And make, you're making someone think about it. You're making it. someone say it to themselves. You yeah. say N word and they have to say nigger in their own heads. I got in trouble with the trans community because there was a, a woman who used to be a man who was a man for 30 years and then decided to start MMA fighting and fighting women. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's some physical advantages to the male frame that I think it's, it's unfair and it is also, it's, you, you have to divulge the fact that you used to be a man. There's structural advantages to the male frame. There's mechanical advantages to the male frame, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to fighting. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not fair. And and people were so upset at me. And it's a medical issue, and that it's been proven that a, a man who trans becomes a transgender is a woman and a, a woman. Period. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, the, the frame, the the width of the shoulders, the size of the hands, these things don't change. And it takes a long time to change the bone density. More than a decade of hormone therapy to show significant decreases in bone density. And they trying to pretend that it's like some sort of an instantaneous thing Mm -hmm. that you automatically become a woman this but this woman who used to be a man looked like a man in a lot of ways very wide broad-shouldered and hit very hard and i think that's a lot of it is the mechanical advantage of the male frame does it mean that a woman can't beat her no 
I mean, or a, a cis woman, as you would say, can't. No, absolutely can. And I, not only that, I think she should be able to compete with them. But I think it's a it's a matter of disclosure. Mm-hmm. You can't not tell them that. You can't just pretend you've been a woman your whole life. I think when it comes to something along that line. That's that's a big issue, and the See, outrage, the current the, the current, the current wave of sort of trans uh, thought, which is you know evolving and developing rapidly, would say that it's hate speech for you to say that this person wasn't a woman all her life. Well, they weren't physically a woman. That's reality. They had a penis. They had muscles. They had testosterone flowing freely through their testicles. That's that's the reality, the scientific reality of having the Y chromosome, mm-hmm. and that is what a man is whether they gender identified with being a female i'm not disputing that whatsoever and i even if they looked like a man i'd be more than happy to call them and address them and think of them as a woman i have no problem with that it just comes to combat sports when it comes to combat sports when you there's a reason why men and women aren't allowed to fight each other it's because men have an advantage there's a women's division and a men's division and i don't i don't even have a problem with a woman fighting a man if they know if everybody knows what's going on, if Ronda Rousey decides to fight another 135-pound man, she's probably going to beat the fuck out of the average 135-pound man. I know nothing about this sport. This is the first I've heard that there was a trans person in this sport. I, I can't watch this sport. But, Every- you, but you've commented on it. You say that a lot of people that watch it may be closeted gay. Have I commented on yes. it? Yes. Yeah, you were talking oh, about this is the, 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 this UFC. This is the mixed martial arts where they yes. end up humping on the floor. Well, they're trying to kill each other. Okay, if you well, want to call it humping, I think you're doing <laughs> they it wrong. Had, like, two hot guys end up in a... like grabbing each other and rolling around on the mat on the floor inside the metal yeah i have i've seen it i'm not like it's not a sport i follow much i've seen it at my gym that i used to go to where they mm-hmm. would have mixed martial arts is that what it's called yes on all these screens and then i would go around and turn all the tvs to bravo when i was alone in the gym at night <laughs> so then Did the you morning have an app they, on your phone that allowed you to change the channel no, i would just stand there on the side of the tv until uh, i found kathy griffith on bravo <laughs> and be like, all right i am making this gym a gay gym but you were saying that you thought that a lot of people that did MMA or watched MMA. Uh, I, just, I would probably just, just joking. Right? I was just teasing because yeah. okay. you know there's some people who are into hypo macho sports and any suggestion that there could be anything gay about it or that even a gay person could get anything out of it. So you were trolling. I was just trolling. Oh, you son of a bitch! Listen, man, we could do this a million times. We could have a lot of really fun conversations. I'd love even to come back. We disagree on certain things. Uh, I respect your opinion very much, and I think it's a very interesting point of view. And uh, I think that a lot of these subjects, I mean, there's no definitive yes or no. There's no right or wrong. They're very nuanced and uh, really fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Was. it. And if you're ever much. in Seattle and you want to come on my podcast and give some sex advice, I would love to. Love to have you. Yeah, definitely. I love Seattle, man. I don't love it in the winter, but I love it in the summer. It's one of the best places on earth. It's winter right now. You know what we call June in Seattle? What? January. Why? Because it's cold and raining, just like Is January. it really? Yeah, it's been shitty, cold, raining all month. Does that freak people out that live there? Because the people that I know that live there, they all brush it off. Like, no, it's nothing. It's awesome. Come move here. And I'm like, man, I don't know, man. You fucking people tend to jump off buildings quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it does get to some people. What gets to me, like a few years ago, we basically didn't have a summer. Like January went into mid-July, and then and then it became fall in like September 1st. There was and no we summer. had like four weeks where it was pretty decent out and kind of no summer. And that happens every once in a while. That makes so maybe global warming would be good for Seattle. Oh, global warming is going to be great for Canada, and it's going to be great for Washington <laughs> State, Minnesota. It's going to suck for Texas. It's going to suck for all these places that don't believe in climate change. Everybody in Washington State's like, climate change is real. We have to address it, and we're going to be fine. You fuckers in Texas who don't believe in climate change, you're all going to die. Listen, don't listen to him. Jesus is going to take care of everything. <laughs> you're going to be fine. I need you to pray and pray for rain. The problem is you're not praying hard enough for rain, and there's people like him sodomizing. Ruining the whole fucking That's thing. That's right. All right. 
Thank you, brother. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks and uh, please um, follow Dan on Twitter. It's Fake Dan Savage is his uh, Twitter handle. Your podcast is available on iTunes. And it's available SavageLoveCast.com. SavageLoveCast.com. All right, and thanks to our sponsor. Thanks to Squarespace. Go to Squarespace.com. Use the code word Joe and make your own website, bitch. Thanks to Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with the one and only Mad Flavor, a.k.a. Oh, is that Wednesday? Joey's on Wednesday. Yeah, Joey's on Wednesday. Wednesday, Joey Diaz. Uh, And then Thursday, the great Duke Rufus, one of the best striking trainers in the world today, former world Muay Thai champion. He will be here on Thursday. And uh, maybe another one thrown in there if I find somebody interesting. All right, we love you. We'll see you soon. Big kiss. Wow. You are going to get me killed.